This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, somebody's in the town, and that is the commander. Commander Cody's in the town. The voice of summer and yours truly we're in Mesa, Arizona, where, I mean, this was a heartbreaking loss. The Athletics won their first game today, split squad. They had an eight-game winning that eight-game winning streak, and they lost today the second game to the Cincinnati Reds. And I got to ask you, Ken, how do you recover it's from the loss? It's devastating. You flip over the spread if you're down in the clubhouse. I mean, it really gets to you. It's emotional. I heard, I heard my sources, Ryan Christensen. Yeah, oh, I know. We could not air what he said to the players. Close the clubhouse door. Don't even let anybody in there. After Media the wasn't allowed in. Yeah, no. <laughs> They're actually going to come back out and practice. You know what spring training is? It's the great illusion. Because people always ask me, how does the team look in the spring? Or how does so-and-so yeah. look? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't mean a thing. It's fun. <laughs> The, you know, every year I ask Bo Mel on the first manager show. So what are you trying to get, you know, get done down here? What's the most important thing? And he says, good health. Well, you know, I I think about my interview today, and you're going to hear from Matt Chapman. We got we got a, a spectacular, a spectacular guest list. You're the Ricky Henderson. You're leading off this mm-hmm. list and coming up. But Matt Chapman said something today to me that that is so right. You can work out in the offseason. You can hit in a cage, hit on a field, throw off the mound. But he goes, when you first get out here and you're standing in your spikes all day long and you have some aches and pains, spring training helps you get through that and get you ready, get your body ready, conditioned to get ready to play. The wins and losses. I mean, uh, remember yeah, the, the Lions went, went 4-0 in the preseason, then went 0-16? <laughs> right, because as a hitter, you want to see pitches. You want to begin to track pitches early in the spring, and then as you get later in the spring, uh, hopefully you're going to see some of the top-line pitching, and that's a good dress rehearsal like uh, I mentioned yesterday with uh, the Dodgers, with Walker Bueller. You want to see that kind of stuff because everything changes during the regular season. And the other thing, too, I think about this is – Working on all the nuanced plays, the cutoff plays, the pickoffs, rundowns, things like that. You want to start the season, Chris, knowing that from the fundamental standpoint, 
of doing all the little things that can win you a ball game, you have all that down pat down here. Something that we don't see anymore in big league baseball, and I miss it, is the infield and outfield practice before the game. But they do it here in spring training where you hit the ball to the left field, to center field, to right field. You throw it to second, to third, to home. Then you hit it to the infielders and they do double plays and they do all of that. Hit it back to the pitcher, turn the double play. And, and, and watching it today, you just realize, how, again, how skilled these guys mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. And I mean the A's defenders, and I've been saying it all spring, it really is the hallmark of their club. You know, everybody thinks about power and hitting home runs. The hallmark of this club is their defense. And they work really hard at it during the regular season, too. As I've said many times, and you and I have talked about it, you come out early in the afternoon of a night game or the morning of a day game, and you see Simeon and Chapman and Olsen and Pinder and whoever might be the second baseman. And they they do it almost at game speed at like 1030 in the morning before a day game. And it's that repetition, it's that commitment to being as good as they can be. And so when that happens, the rest of the guys, it sets a tone for the rest of the club. You know, David Forrest, you're going to hear the first official David Forrest show of 2020. And it still sounds like the battle is going on at second base. Uh, He wouldn't lean anyway. He mentioned four or five guys. And, of course, Barreto and Mateo are out of options in that place. The only thing, too, that's happened has been the injury to Stephen Piscotti. And we don't want to play doctor here, but as we get deeper and deeper into the spring, it would seem unlikely that he's going to be okay to go opening day, wouldn't you think? It would be A.J. Puck would so, really be the one I'm really yeah, worried about. Yeah, and Puck, I don't think that in, if Puck's going to start throwing if everything goes well within the next few days, but still he's going to be so far behind to try to build up the pitch count to be ready for the start of the season. So I would, I would say that he might be in the doubtful category as well, Chris. But that opens up a spot. I think with the, with pitching, Chris Bassett goes right in there. But the point about uh, if if um, Piscotti can't go opening day, then it opens up. You know, one of those guys maybe because we've talked about Barreto and Mateo being out of options, maybe it helps those guys out to make the opening day roster. We focus so much about opening day and who's on the club opening day. That can change the next day. It can change a week later. So I don't think Bo Mel in the front office obsess too much about who's going to be on the opening day roster. And then how about the big blow again to the Yankees? People were talking about this Yankees team could be historic. They could win well over 110 games. And next thing you know, Severino's out. Herman's got the suspension. Uh, You're talking about Stanton's hurting one again. And now Judge has a fractured rib that he's going to be he's not going to make opening day. We knew he probably wouldn't, but he might have to have surgery on it. They're going to reevaluate like in two weeks. So this team that was supposed to be the outright favorite, they are so banged up to start the season. It's unbelievable. The door might be open for the Oakland A's this year because of some of the things you're talking about. Plus, the A's have this difficult early season schedule, but they're playing the Yankees early. So will Judge be there? Who knows? They have to replace Severino. Paxton won't face the A's early in the season when they come to the Coliseum. Yeah, this is his surgery. Uh, They have the Red Sox, the Yankees, the second homestand. Sale's not going to be ready for that. So it opens the door. The the, the Astros, of course, come in on March 30th. There'll be a lot of focus on that. But because they open, the Astros open the season with a four-game series, the A's will will see their fifth starter in one of those three games. They're still trying to find a fifth starter. 
for starter McCullers is coming back off Tommy John surgery. So maybe as we look at, at the, the challenge of the early season schedule for the A's, on paper, it's kind of breaking fairly well for them right now. And boy, are they a confident bunch. I've pretty much talked to everybody. I still got to do Loriano. I still have Canna. But other than that, I've pretty much talked to every position player, and the confidence is sky high. Laureano is a great player, isn't he? He's great. He hit a ball a ton today. Just killed it, no doubt, up by the scoreboard. Such a great defender, and he's really a good kid. I mean, he's one of those guys I know that you enjoy talking to. And he has the, like the, the total package in terms of his physical skills, but also the mental makeup. I really like the way mentally he approach the, uh, approaches the game. He's a tough guy. He is. And and he plays, when they say he's got kind of got like that football mentality, I mean, he, he's, he plays with his, his hair on fire. And the thing that I love about him the most, other than just, just regular stuff, you know, center field, is I love it when he hits the ball whether it's on the ground or into the gap and the way he comes out of the box, he's immediately challenging the outfield. He's right. making, if you don't hustle, he will take second on you like that. And how important is that on your club to have a lot of guys that do that? They all play hard. And I think that's one reason why they're such a good second half team because they grind every game. And by the second half, they kind of grind people into submission and they become a better ball club in the second half. Kind of reminds me of the early 2000s the Angels. Yeah. Remember, the mm -hmm. Angels, how aggressive they were running the mm -hmm. bases under Mike Socha, always putting pressure on your outfielder's arms. That's what Loriano does. Well, when it's you're right. And when the A's weren't very good, then they became really good in 2012 in Bo Mello's first year. Then they had a couple down years. And then, you know, they bounced back. When they weren't good, they didn't have impactful players. But now they have impactful players and guys who have that kind of dynamic quality. And they have athletes now. Yes. In the last, if you look back at the, the teams that the A's had that weren't very good in the last 10, 12 years, they weren't athletic. Now they're athletic. And how many times did we say when the Astros were dominating the A's in the season series that one of the big reasons was the difference in athletic ability? You know, they would run circles around the A's. That doesn't happen anymore now because the A's have reached a different level defensively, like you said, but also the way these guys play the game and how athletic they are and how quick they are taking the extra base. So um, they've added that dimension, that, that dimension, Chris, of being impactful as players. And you don't win unless you have impactful players. I've got one question as we're in the middle of spring. And I think it's the same question. The other 29 teams have. How good is your bullpen going to be? Great question. And there's a concern there at the back end, right? Uh, Blake Trinan's now with the Dodgers. And Trevino's coming off a tough year. And Blake had a tough year last year. So they still have Petit, who's been a marvel. And you would hope that Soria has, some, has a good year left in the tank. You really need Lou Trevino to come through this year. And I spoke with David Force about it. You're here. I'll give you the lineup here in a little bit, what we got going today. But I asked David about it, and it's a year-to-year -year deal. I mean, last year, you thought the strength of this team is going to be the bullpen because of what they did the year before, and there was 31 blown saves. So you're kind of 
I don't know what they're going to be. I, I don't. Are they going to be really good? Is it going to be a struggle to get the 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 last X amount of outs to win the game to get to twenty seven outs? I don't think we know. Bullpens are the biggest reason that GMs have gray hairs, because you can't predict it. The most unpredictable thing in this game is trying to figure out your bullpen year to year. It's really hard. And that's one reason why, unless you're one of the elite relievers, you don't see long-term contracts given to uh, bullpen pitchers very often. Liam Hendricks is the greatest example. Two years ago, he was DFA'd. Now he's on the cover of the media guide. Anybody could have had him, right? I mean, when you're (laughs) DFA'd, anybody, there's 29 other teams. They could have picked up Liam Hendricks. So when he was DFA, uh, would you have ever bet in two years he'd be on the cover of the media guide? No, but it's great because he's he's great with us, right? And he, yeah. he and his wife done some great things for charities. So um, he's like the embodiment of everything that's good about an Oakland A Oakland A's ball player. But yeah, how the how the bullpen shakes out, and people might be tired of hearing us talk about the three reliever or the three batter rule for the relievers. How's Diekman and how are they going to handle that? Diekman and McFarland, the two A's lefties, because this is a this is an American League West with some pretty good firepower in these lineups, Chris. Where you've got to believe that when you go to the bullpen and bring one of your guys in late, that they can do the job. And so there's going to they're going to be tested against some of these guys on these clubs. There's no safety net. No, there isn't. Yeah, yeah. Lefty on lefty. I, I, I didn't get him out. Now Bo Mel's going to come get me. No, you got to face three batters. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no. And what if the you. guy you bring in and you figure after one batter he doesn't have it? Because you know, as a manager, right? <laughs> well, I just brought this guy. He didn't have it today. Well, you might have to face Mike Trout and Rendon after that. You know. Uh, <laughs> right. we're gonna intentionally walk you, intentionally walk <laughs> right. you, and now I'm. What if? I brought a guy in. Is does a, an intentional walk count as facing the batter? Yes. Okay. So that's something if you really worry. There was a great story in the Athletic today about all that. In fact, they were even. I mean, it was pretty detailed. You could even have a guy face somebody, and then if he falls behind three and zero, bring somebody in out of the bullpen to throw one more pitch and walk him, and not even have any any plan of facing the guy and he throws one pitch it counts as facing a batter wow i didn't know you know we're gonna have to learn that. <laughs> there's a lot going and, and so then he only has to face two more right after that right the first guy throws three balls the next guy comes in says intentional walk doesn't have to throw a pitch and it, it counts as a batter because it's the uh as they said in the article what counts is the final the denouement, like what happens to that batter, the last pitch that's thrown to that batter, and that means that that's credited to that pitcher, so he only has to face uh, two more batters. Stan Kasten, the president of the Dodgers, I talked to him yesterday, and he said he tells people that used to work in the game, he goes, if you're out even for one year, you're behind. Right. Like, like He goes, this game is moving so fast with data, analytics, rules, players change. He goes, if, if you're out of the game for just a little bit, you're so far behind. No doubt. And still to be determined would be what they're going to do with the video rooms and the access that players have to video during the games. Will they knock that out completely? Or will they allow the hitters to go back and see their at-bats and that's it? 
Uh, that hasn't come down from Rob Manfred yet. Yeah, I know what the players want, but the problem is... They want to be able to see their at-bats. The problem is we gave you that technology, and look where it led us. Right. Shame on you. Do your homework before the game. Just ban the whole... No technology during the game. Just lock it up. Lock up the room and... But what about the manager consulting with the video people on the replay channel? No, that, that still plays. Okay, you like yeah, that. that yeah, that still plays. I could get rid of that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can get rid of 80% of replay and I'd be thrilled. But I just the, the video room because there's always... If you're going to give human beings something that they feel that they can get in a competitive edge with, they will always keep tweaking it and doing so. So that's why you just got to take it all away during the game. That'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. Do your homework before the game. Watch the video before the game. And once once first pitch hits, lock that. Someone from Major League Play Baseball, ball. both clubhouses, lock that door, and the video room is off limits. The Brewers are coming here on Sunday. I don't know if they're going to be broadcasting or if Uke will be over here, which is always a treat. So I was listening to Uke the other day, and he was talking about the uh, – the robo umpires, like the computerized strikes yeah, on yeah. the robot umpires. He said, someday one of the teams in baseball will be a robot team. <laughs> <laughs> How much you got to pay them? <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's the part of the charm of baseball is going away with everything kind of being like a lab and science and everything, but players are getting better. They are bigger, yeah. stronger, faster, better than ever before. And, it, you know, Chris, at its core, it hasn't really changed. You right? still got to hit it, catch it, throw you it. You sure do. It's still 90 feet. It's still 60 feet, 6 inches. And those dimensions have stood the test of time. It's one of the great things about baseball is that 90 feet still works. My friend, be well. Thanks, have a buddy. Good, you got, we'll see you tomorrow over in uh, Peoria. Have you been to Peoria before? I have not been. This is a dual Padre Mariner facility, right? It is. Yeah, right. No, I haven't been to this one. It's okay. It's not the greatest, but you know, our booth is fine. You'll enjoy it. We'll have a good, we'll put on a nice little show for you tomorrow. Starting at 1130. Yeah. Yes. Sunday we go to 1230. Starting at 1130. I, this whole hour ahead thing. But Sunday we're all synced up, right? Dr. <laughs> Kevin Curran. Yeah. Okay. We're all synced up on Sunday. Then I'll be on at 1230. 12, yeah. You better make sure your flights uh, are all arranged correctly then. You're scaring me. Because uh, it's daylight saving time in the Pacific time zone. Nothing changes out here. We just You don't have to change your clock out here. I will see you tomorrow on Peoria. Okay, buddy. Thanks. That is the voice of summer, the voice of your Oakland A's, Ken Korak, right here on A's Cast Live. Boy, do we have a great show. We lead it off with Ken. From there, man, we've got Brian Balukjian. Who wrote a great book called The Wax Pack? You're gonna love the. If you collected baseball cards, you're gonna love it. He's coming up here in about. Th- we'll do him in about three minutes. Robbie Grossman got a chance to talk with the switch hitter. He'll be here at four. Sean Manai, I chatted with him today after his outing. That'll be at four fifteen. Mike Fires, last year's opening day starter. Probably this year's opening day starter. He'll be here at 4.30. A guy that had arguably one of the best years an A has ever had, one of the best years ever for a shortstop. Marcus Simeon will be here at 5 o'clock. At 5.30, 
we have our first David Four show. The GM will stop by. Matt Chapman, your all-star third baseman, platinum glove winner twice, and two-time gold glove winner will be here at six. And Steve Vucinich, this is his 53rd year with the Athletics. He's been here since 1968. He is going to join us at 6.30. I tell you all the time, no one's got you covered on A's baseball and Major League Baseball like we do here at A's Cast Live. I had a guy, by the way, Cody, come down my road on Twitter about always hyping up A's Cast. And because he's like, we know it's great and, and and we're listening. So you don't have to always be tooting your horn. Now, what you don't understand, new people are stopping by every single day. New people are just learning every day what this is. So we thank all of you who are our regulars, but we need all, a lot of new customers coming in and they need to know how special this is. And they need to know that we're the only team in baseball that has this. No other team is being talked about 24-7, 365. No other team other than the Oakland A's. So if you've heard me repeat this, I apologize. But the reality is I, I, was, I was downloading A's cast on people's phones today. We got, new, we, we got new fans. I mean, they can't listen down here until they get back into the Bay Area. But I downloaded A's cast on like four, four phones today. I mean, new people are coming to A's Cast and A's Cast Live on a daily basis, and they're trying to figure out what this is, and that's what we're doing. And uh, if anyone has any problems with, you know, questions about data, streaming, how to connect to your uh, connect to the stream in your car, smart speakers, listening in the ballpark, just go to athletics.com/faq, and we'll answer that answers pretty much every question you need. That's athletics.com/faq. <laughs> Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Oh, with this millennial technology. When they took Ken's mic, because they got to use that for the game tomorrow, it muted our mics on our millennial technology. Our little sensitive butterfly millennial technology. Uh, just, just watching you in the video is probably my favorite part of the whole thing because you're like, you're like looking like I don't know what happened, and I was like, your mute, your mic's muted. Then I was like, all right, I'll just throw out the break. But it's not like it, 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 it did something I'd never seen before. So normally when I mute my mic, it just, it, it makes it, it becomes the microphone becomes red. I know it's muted. This just had an exclamation point, and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I you, don't know. Usually when that happens on our end in the studio, that means there's been a mess up with the settings. So I have to disconnect and reconnect everything. Like I have to, I have to close the hangout we're using, and then open it again and change the settings because that's what happens. But um, that was very quick acting on your part on on the fly. I, like we always joke, you're you know you're a millennial still. I am. I try and tell you, I'm 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 a I'm a '40s millennial. I mean that's that's I'm I'm sensitive and I want everybody to take care of me. You know that, uh, Brad Baluchian has written a very fascinating book. It's called The Wax Pack on the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. So it's this pack of cards. And inside the pack of cards, he goes, and I think it's what you'll hear, I think it's 14 or 15 cards. He reaches out to every one of these guys to find out what they're doing. 
What's what's the baseball afterlife? And two of them are really well known. And part of this is a sad story, too. Dwight Gooden and Hall of Famer Carlton Fisk. But you're going to hear Gary Templeton, Randy Reddy, some guys that you will know, and some guys you got no idea who they are. <laughs> so this book, I'm really looking forward to this book because it, it, it sounds like a fascinating read. Here is my conversation with Brad Belukjian, the author. The book is The Wax Pack on the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Brad, when I first saw this and I saw the cover, uh, I thought, I can't wait to see this book. <laughs> well, thank you, Tony. It's, uh, you know, I'm really happy to be talking to you. I know you're a big baseball guy. I know you'll appreciate this and just happy to be on the show. So there's, there's multiple things going on in this book. Yeah. And it's about, what was it, 1986. Yeah. You got a, a, a pack of baseball cards. Now, we all love baseball cards. And when you talked about the 80s and early 90s, I'm like, that's, my, that's my era. And I think about all these cards that I had. Oh, I got Griffey's rookie. I got Tony Gwynn's rookie card. And we thought these were going to be worth so much money. And then the corporations really did ruin baseball card trading. Yeah, I know. I mean, the era we're talking about, we all have like 10 Sixto Les Canos from 1986, right? <laughs> Somewhere in our in our attic. But yeah, I mean, this was like right before the bubble burst. So this is an era that I think pretty much, you know, anyone that collected cards back then can, can relate to this, this time in baseball card collecting. And after that, it just kind of became a, a niche industry. Okay, so there's a pack in 1986 and tell us why this pack meant so much to you and why you wrote the book yeah well so the pack itself was just a pack that had never been opened for 30 years somehow you know collectors save packs and remain sealed so what i liked about this idea of getting a one pack is like you're kind of beholden to whatever random guys are going to be in this pack right it's you, whoever, whoever I get, that's what you go with. And in terms of why I did the book, um, I grew up the same era as you did with baseball, and I realized that I still love baseball, but I don't know the players like I did back then. You know, I, I, follow, I follow the game, but back as a kid growing up, I knew all these guys and their stats. And that era in baseball history, is, is it kind of stands out because it's like the last era before the Internet. It's the last era before expansion in 1993. Yeah, 93. Um, and so I thought I was genuinely curious, like what happened to these guys that I grew up with idolizing? You know, what happened after the end of their careers? Because they didn't play in a time when they made the, the ton of money they could just, you know, retire on. So these guys were when they retired in their mid 30s, the same age that I was, I am now. And, you know, they're at this crossroads with what do they do with the rest of their lives? You know, you're 35. You could never do the one thing you spend your entire life doing. What happens next? And as someone myself who is, was kind of at a crossroads with, you know, my mid-30s, not married, no kids, you know, where do I want to go next? And all my friends are, you know, doing the traditional thing of settling down. And so I looked at it as a chance to kind of get on the road and get some advice from these guys that I knew as a kid as my heroes, but now I'm going to get to meet as an adult and hopefully, you know, glean some, some wisdom from them. I don't know if you've been asked this yet. Did you try the gum? <laughs> I definitely, that was that was the deal I made with myself was I had to eat the gum. <laughs> and eat is a is a loose term there because you, you chomp down on, I mean, the gum was bad in 1986. The gum <laughs> in 2015, when I did this, did this trip, was it just disintegrated in my mouth. <laughs> Horrible. I can't Horrible. imagine. Yeah. Okay, so two big names, Dwight Gooden and Carlton Fisk. 
Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons why I did this is I, as a kid, I always liked the guys that were kind of the, the bench players. Like my favorite A was Donnie Hill back in the day. Right. So I liked the guys that were not the stars. And so I knew that in a pack I'd get to write about a lot of those guys because that's more commonly the, those are the players, you know, that are more common. Um, but yeah, you're going to get some superstars. So I had Gooden and I had Fisk and I did about a year of research ahead of time to see if they would talk to me. And Gooden was the only player that asked me to pay him to talk to him. And I had, so I had arranged to want to be in Long Island to meet with him. I was going to pay him $500 to talk to him and get there, you know, all the way from California. I'm in his living room, literally in his living room with his grandkids and his son interviewing them. And he's nowhere to be found. And that chapter, I, I won't tell the whole story now, but it's particularly uh, somber chapter and sort of sad story about, you know, Dwight Gooden fighting his demons and sort of me ending up just by chance in the middle of all that. Um, Carlton Fisk was more just straight up, you know, I'm not going to talk to you, um, just rejected me. And, you know, a lot's been written about him being kind of a recluse. So didn't really expect him. And, you know, he was the most famous. He's a Hall of Fame player. So I realized with Carlton, uh, I had to go rogue. And so, uh, I was still going to write a chapter about him. So what I did with, with Fisk is he golfs at this really posh, exclusive resort in Sarasota, Florida. And I found out from a source where he golfs. And so I, I hatched this whole plan to basically pretend like I was a millionaire trying to buy a house on the golf course to sneak my way into the course to find him. And that's sort of the setup to what happens with Fisk. I, I will say I did end up meeting him in the book. Not quite as I, how I planned, but... I did get there. <laughs> All right. So take us through some of the really good stories. Of, and these are not real famous guys. Yeah, no. Um, the, you know, the, the nice thing about the book is one thing, one take home point is that you realize that we all, you know, just average people have a lot more in common with baseball players than we realize. I mean, obviously, we can't throw a ball or hit a ball like they did. But they're just people, and that's what this book is about, is really getting past the statistics and figuring out who are they as husbands, as sons, as, as, as fathers. And so um, one of the fun things was I, I really tried to make this experiential. So Randy Reddy, who played with the Padres, played with the A's briefly, grew up in Fremont. Uh, he and I went uh, bowling together. I showed him how to use Tinder because he was just out of a divorce and I was single. Um, the guy's a great guy. I mean, imagine, it's very surreal swiping with Randy Reddy at a bowling alley, right, drinking some, some Bud Lights. And then the next morning we went out and worked out together. And in the whole story, it's a very, it was a very fun process, but we, we kind of unpacked the story of his first wife who tragically had a heart attack when she was, like, in her, in her 20s and has been in a vegetative state since then. So we, you know, really got into the, the backstories of these guys and the, their, you know, personal stories. So that's one example. Um, my, my childhood hero was a guy named Don Carmen, who no one remembers, Philly's left-hander. Who? Yeah. And uh, I met him at the zoo in Naples, Florida, and he ends up being uh, just an amazing guy and so unusual, um, one of the only baseball players to ever pursue a doctorate. So... He finished playing, was really depressed like a lot of these guys were, and then basically picked himself up, got an undergraduate degree, got a master's degree, and started working on his doctorate. Um, so there's all these varied experiences. There's um, Again, I tried to do, I got a hitting lesson from Rance Mullenix. Uh, I uh, watched kung fu movies with Gary Templeton. Tempe! Uh, yeah, Tempe. Um, went to, a, let's see, what else? Sat in the dugout uh, at McCoy Stadium in Pawtucket with Richie Hebner. 
ate uh, liver and onions with Lee Mazzilli in New York. <laughs> Lee Mazzilli. Okay, so, some of these guys are not nobodies. No, these, no, no. I mean, yeah. Templeton was an all-star. Oh, and, and maybe the best one got to touch Rick Sutcliffe's Cy Young Award in his house. And Sutcliffe uh, was was a great guy. He took me back to his high school where he grew up. And I'm sure you had beers with Red Sutcliffe. No, it was the it, well. I was going to say it was morning time, and that would preclude that. But that's not necessarily the case. But no, we we did have breakfast together, but no no beer was consumed. But he was he was going to a Kenny Chesney concert later that night. So <laughs> tell the audience where they can get this book. Sure. Um, so it comes out April 1st. Uh, it's on Amazon. It'll be it's in Barnes and Noble. You can get it online. Get it in the bookstores. I'll actually be doing a. Um, a tour starting on April 1st in Oakland at a place called the Great Good Place for Books in Montclair. And actually, I've been talking to Dave Cavill once having to do a uh, signing at the stadium this summer at the Coliseum. So hopefully that'll that'll work out. I'll be out there. Yeah, once you release a book, come back on Ace Cast. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. Appreciate the time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's going to be an interesting read. I mean, think about that. One moment you're showing Randy Reddy how to use Tender, and then another moment in the book, he's there when Dwight Gooden relapses. He had been sober for three years. That's sad. So there, there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some laughter. There'll be a little, uh, some tears. And to bring it all back to baseball cards, if you collected baseball cards as a kid, boy, did that really turn out to be disappointing. I remember, you know, it was all about getting the rookie cards. It was always about protecting them in the sleeves or the little plastic cases. And I had King Griffey Jr. and I had Ricky Henderson. I still got them. Uh, who else had Ryan Sandberg, Tony Gwynn? Who else did I? I had a bunch of rookie cards, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, these things are gonna be worth so much money. I'm sure they're worth a little bit, but not not like we thought they were gonna be. Because then all of a sudden, there were so many cards being made, and it diluted the product. And you know, do you have tops? Do you have Fleer? Do you have Donruss? You know, it's just it ended up. Uh, the industry's not what it used to be. I uh, I used to collect cards too. Uh, I have like Joe Montana, John Elway, Steve Young. Like I have all the higher priced NFL cards. Now back in the day, I believe the most expensive card you could get before they started releasing all these different ones was a. It wasn't even his rookie card. It was a Mickey Mantle card. It was worth like a cup, like I think like twenty thousand dollars. Now I forget why I was a kid when I learned about it. But just knowing that there's a baseball card out there, besides the Hannes Wagner card, which is like the Mecca because it's worth over a million dollars. They sell sometimes at auctions for that much money. There's like a Mickey Mantle card for like, that's no, that it's a non-rookie for that much. I think the most valuable baseball card I own is probably – like I have some like a lot of the older players like Greg Maddox and all that, but a more modern-day player, I have Pulhos and Ichiro. And the, I remember I, I opened the Ichiro pack – and I looked at it, and I was like, uh, I would say, I think I was like 13. I looked, and I was like, who the hell is Ichiro Suzuki? And then he goes on to win the uh, rookie there in the uh, AL MVP in his first year. And I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty good. Then I look, I'm like, he's 27. He's kind of old. It's like something out of Star Wars, as Kenny Korak likes to say. In that very first game where Terrence Long got hosed by Ichiro, and everybody went, oh, 
Maybe this guy is the real deal. You remember when Ichiro started and Lou Pinnell's watching him just, I, I guess he, you have to realize that Japanese players prepare differently than American players. And I've seen it twice now in Tokyo. And everything they do is just like flipping the ball the other way when they're getting ready. And they have two cages going at the same time. Then they have guys behind the cages, and they're taking soft toss, and they're hitting it back into the the net that protects the stands. And everything is about flipping it the other way. And Lou Pinnell is looking at this going, this is the guy that everybody said was so great? And then, of course, Ichiro goes out to be one of the greatest hitters of all time. And Lou, P- Lou Pinella was like, uh-oh, got that one wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, Lou, you Ichiro only, we only won 116 games the first year with him. Ichiro Suzuki, good friends with Bob Melvin. And when Ichiro retired, well, I'll just tell you, that, that, that last year, Tokyo Dome, and Ichiro retires – I got to tell you, it was, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think I'll ever see anything like it again. Because Ichiro is a national hero. It's not like a guy retires in a town. And everybody in that town loves him. Well, not everybody in the United States loves him. The rivals don't love him. This was the nation saying goodbye to Ichiro. And the place, they didn't leave. When the game was over, well, they take Ichiro out. Wherever, when he was walking off the field, wherever he looked, they stood up and went nuts. It was like he was Elvis Presley or whoever you think of the the biggest star you can think. Wherever he looked, they went nuts and yelled. and, And then he goes down after the game, and they just wait, and they wait, and they wait. We'll find out that he had a little ceremony, and he wanted Bob Melvin to be there and be part of it. They're really close. I really, I didn't know they were that close. But they're really close, and their wives are close. And then all of a sudden, Ichiro came out after like, and I'm doing the, I'm doing the post-game show, right? And he comes out, and they go berserk. I mean, they it, – it was so powerful – and he did the tour around the stadium, and there was hundreds of photographers following him around. I was like, wow, this guy is loved. And that made me realize when Mark Langston talked about doing one of their games on YouTube and how many, like there was a couple million or whatever, millions of people watching the game on YouTube. I now, you know, when you have Shohei Otani on your team, and you're going to have people from all over the world watching it. You know, this is the future of, of baseball. You know, I've been telling this story recently because of what we're doing with A's cast. Is like, if you're old enough to remember, you remember when baseball was just on, on regular television. There wasn't even cable. And then they were going to put baseball on cable, and people were like, you got to pay for cable. You're going to put baseball where you got to pay for it? That's never going to work. Well, it worked for a long time. It's starting to not work again, but it's uh, at work for a long time. Things change. But I'll tell you, that moment, I, that, was, that was incredible. That was, I was just like, 
I, I was like, uh, I can't believe how beloved this guy is. So if you, I mean, if you started running your games, I tell you, the international players, you start running games on, you know, a platform that's free like YouTube and you sign a contract. Let's say you had, let's say Ichiro, let's say you put Ichiro in a time machine and Ichiro is playing his first year again and there's YouTube and you're the Mariners and you sign a deal with YouTube because you, you people used to stay up all night and watch Ichiro because he was so beloved. No, it'd be daytime there. So at night, yeah. So it, so they people are always watching Mariner games. I mean, it's a powerful. These some of these international players are really really powerful. And Shohei Otani is going to be one of those guys for the Angels. I mean, we saw it with Ichiro, and we see it with Otani, and we saw it with uh, Hideki Matsui, Godzilla. The amount of Asian media that follows these guys around, it's it's. It's crazy. I remember, I mean, Matsui would go out there and talk to the Japanese media every day, every day before the game. Even on days he's not even in the lineup, on days he's not going to play, he'd go out and talk to him. All right, Robbie Grossman. Friend of the program, Robbie Grossman. You know, Robbie had a pretty decent year last year and really good defensively, but he's looking to have a much better year offensively. And, you know, people don't stay healthy throughout the year. And the way they mix and they match and, that you know, Robbie's going to play a big part in this thing. Here is my conversation yesterday with the A's left fielder. We've been joking all offseason that you came up with one of the best lines last year on A's Cast Live when you talked about your love-hate relationship with StatCast. Because uh, uh, we've been having these defensive guys on there like, what do you mean, StatCast? StatCast loves Robbie Grossman. Yeah, um, they loved me last year, um, but it's um, it's a great metric and it's a great um, way to evaluate how you're playing, and uh, it's just more information for us baseball players, front office, and fans to indulge in and uh, really see what is actually happening. How are you feeling going into 2020? I feel great. Um, my body feels great. Um, made some adjustments with my swing in the off season, and uh, I'm uh, really looking forward to being on a first place team. Which swing? <laughs> Both of them. Um, <laughs> it's a, like I said, we we'll always say, when I signed in 2008, I told myself it's, my goal was just to get a little bit better every day. And uh, over the last how many years, it's just um, it's kind of being a work in progress. And, and uh, here I am today still trying to get better every day, and it's still my motto. And uh, it's, um, it's paying off early, but um, there's a lot, of, a lot of games left. You know, that's the one thing people don't realize when, when you switch hit. It's the maintenance of two swings. And now you're talking about changing two different swings. How tough that is compared to just having one. Yes, I think it's a kind of a blessing in disguise, too, um, to be able to feel it on both sides and take away what you what you interpret on both sides, your feel versus real. And, uh, and it helps out in some ways, but it is a lot of work and it's a lot of maintenance. Do you want them both to be similar? Are they different? How, how is it? Because every every switch hitter I ask, their their answer is different. Yeah, um, I've always told like, don't try to make the same swing both ways, and and don't try to do this. Don't do, I try to make them the same both sides, so I can know what I'm doing and try to emulate both sides as the same and feel the same things. And uh, that's what's worked for me. And it might be different for someone else, but uh, it's it's a, it's a tough gig. Uh, running into the wall today? 
Really? <laughs> well, I got mad at Chappie because he did it, and I said, what are you doing? Like, the ball's five rows in the stands, and then I do it in a c- couple innings later. But I didn't realize the wind was uh, – I didn't know the wind was blowing, but the one he hit me, I was like, there's no way that's going in the stands. And the people in the stands are telling me, there's no way you're catching that. And then I didn't, but, uh, hey, um, I'd rather err on that than – and let slow up and let it drop. And what's a trip about these ballparks is how small the fences are. Yeah, that's what I was just talking to Fires about. It's not that there's a fence there. It's just how small it is. It's it's better to run in a fence that's six feet high than three feet high because it kind of undercuts you. But um, that's just part of it. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a funny part of the game. I've noticed one thing with this team from when we saw you guys at Fan Fest and now being down here at spring training. The word is confidence. You know, you win 97 games two straight years. It seems like this team is ready to take the next step. Yeah. Um, when you win 97 games in the big leagues and you don't even win your division, um, that just speaks how strong our division is. And we have the talent. We look around here. We have the same team as last year. And uh, the, the camaraderie we have, the culture we have here is second to none. And, um, it's a... Uh, it's going to be a special season, and, and you see how the guys interact with each other and, and get along and all pulling for each other. It's, uh, it's, it's special. And defense has been such a hallmark. Corner outfield, corner infield, shortstop. Just talk about how the defense is just so strong. I mean, we got play, we got guys that can flat-out play um, everywhere. And we got two corner infielders that won back-to-back gold glove and back-to-back platinum gloves. Um, no other team has that. And... Uh, and then you have a, uh, I thought, M- MVP in shortstop. Um, but it's um, defense is one of our strong suits, and and we can hit and we can run the bases. So it's going to be hard to beat us. We appreciate the time. Stay healthy, and we'll see you in Oakland. Thanks for having me. Yeah, switch hitting is so tough. You got to work on two swings. You got to keep the maintenance up of two swings. And we've talked about that with a couple guys. We used to have this conversation with Jed Lowry. And, you know, some guys, they're better left or they're better right, but they feel they have the advantage when they switch hit. Some guys in their career will just will abandon doing it. You don't see a lot of guys do it anymore because it is very, very tough. But it gives you an advantage. You're never getting that breaking ball breaking away from you from a righty or a lefty. Robbie's a good dude. I like him, and he's and he's good outfielder, no question. And uh, and he's another guy that gives Bob Melvin versatility, and that's one thing that we always talk a lot about with the A's is versatility. And not only is it offensive versatility, it's defensive versatility. And I know I'm harping a lot on defense this spring training but when you start talking with like mark simon from the fielding bible and you start looking at the analytics for the a's just how strong they are defensively and left right and third and first short they're really really strong because it's not that long ago the a's were not very good defensively and when you think about all these metrics that we have and everybody's going into the lab you still can't give outs away that's always going to work that's always going to play 
You do not want to give away. You you give big league offenses extra outs. They're they're gonna they're gonna attack you. And that's something that it, it makes your pitching better. It's one of the reasons why the A's won what twenty seven one run games last year. And they can win close games because they play great defense. I think there's no question about it. And it's fun to watch, too. That's that's one of the things about watching a big league game is the defense. By the way, it's your last chance to get A's access for the 2020 season is on April 3rd. Make sure you get... You get in on the deals like 50% off concessions, 25% off merchandise, $10 prepaid parking, free ticket exchanges, and, of course, access to every regular season home game. Remember, the best deal in professional sports won't last all season. Go to athletics.com slash access. That's athletics.com slash access. Coming up next, Sean Manaya. The big left-hander will join us right here on A's Cast Live. And you know StatCast loves you defensively. Yeah, but StatCast has hated me defensively before, too. (laughs) A's fans, it's time to purchase suites for the 2020 Oakland Athletics season. You visit athletics.com slash suites. We got the three-game suite pack. We're talking discounted suites when you have three or more. 40% savings on single-game suites. Food and beverages with discount rates. Don't forget, Giants, Red Sox, Yankees, Braves, Astros, opening day and opening night. A visit from Stomper, postseason priority, exclusive on-field seats, and field practice, two people on the field. It doesn't get any better than this. Check it all out. Athletics.com slash suites. That's athletics.com slash suites. This is Chris Townsend. If you're looking for a new mattress, look no further than my friends at nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com. You'll get the ultimate mattress for your needs. And green and gold fans, right now, if you use the coupon code Oakland, you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's use the coupon Oakland to get an entire 10% off your order. Remember, nestbedding.com, America's favorite online mattress brand with stores around the Bay Area and around the country. You need a new mattress? You go to nestbedding.com. The host of Intentional Talk, Chris Rose, was on A's Cast Live, and he shared his feelings on the universal DH. Yeah, no, I'm fine with it. I was joking about how, come on, pitchers, you know, I mean, we live for the Bartolo Colon taking James Shields deep moments. And that happened like six or seven years ago now. So, you know, we've we've been waiting for something else. Uh, For the most part, yeah, we want to see DH. And, and hopefully that means that certain guys are are more attractive out there, right? And Edwin Encarnacion at the end of his career is only viable to basically half the league out there, right? I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. I, I'm all for it. I'm all for anything that makes the sport a little more interesting. And I think the, the DH does make it more interesting. To hear the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash podcast. Streaming from the East Bay, Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Sean Manaya is going to play a big part in the 2020 season. And 
for him this spring, it's just great to be out on the mound. It's great to be healthy. And he's working on a new slider to go with that great changeup and fastball combination. And, it, you know, it just reminds you of any of those pitchers that, you know, if you had a shoulder problem, if you have an elbow problem and you got to rehab and work through it and rehab sucks and you never know what's going to happen, how, how much is this going to actually affect your career? So it's just great when you deal with these young athletes and you know they're healthy, you know they're feeling good. So earlier today when Sean got done with his outing, I caught up with him in the A's clubhouse. So spring training 2020, I think this has just got to be great for you. As you feel healthy, you're throwing the ball great, and after what happened last year, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling amazing. Um, yeah, like I said, I feel, uh, feel healthy. And, uh, you know, being able to work on some pitches and uh, you just use the spring training for that and, uh, and uh, you know, just be consistent with everything and, and uh, just trying to be as uh, ready as possible for, uh, for opening day. Um, I think is is huge. So I'm uh, I'm really excited where I'm at, and I feel like each each time I go out there, it's uh, just improving uh, little by little. I remember last year, Chris Bassett said, you know, it's so nice to be at spring training and just let it go and not have to worry about being, you know, rehabbing or worried about an injury. I got to think for you, just got to clear your head and you can just go out and pitch again. Yeah, uh, you know, he said it exactly right. Not being able to worry about anything and just going out there and working on stuff that you want to work on is uh, is huge. And uh, you know, being pain free and uh, just being able to throw the ball um, without any worries that's uh, that's huge mentally. And uh, you know, when you're able to uh, work on stuff and you can actually like see that, um, you know, that's huge. So um, yeah, it's awesome. I've always loved your fastball changeup combination, but now you got the new weapon, the slider that Emo helped you with. How's it going? Uh, it's great. You know, this is the second game I've thrown it in, and um, you know, I just feel each each day it just gets uh, more and more um, like a better feeling in my hand, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, just continue that that trend, and uh, um, you know, just be a, you know, a nasty weapon throughout the season. What do you think it's going to help you more with, right-handers or left-handed hitters? Um, I mean, both. Um, you know, just uh, you know, have, everything's you know based off my fastball and. Uh, um, you know, if I can get something as consistent as possible to my fastball with just that, that little break, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, really good. You know, the one thing that I've noticed about you guys from FanFest to where we are now is the true confidence in this team. Back-to-back years winning 97 games, but you've got the feeling that this team wants more and expects more. Yeah, uh, I think we're all hungry and, uh, you know, we're all striving towards the same goal and, uh, you know, everybody, you can feel that, you feel that energy throughout the, the entire team, entire squad, so... Um, yeah, everybody's on board, and, and uh, when you when you have that mindset with everybody, then uh, yeah, I think good things will happen. And your defense behind you is just phenomenal. They're getting all the awards, but all the analytics, the metrics show truly one of the best, not if the be- if not the best defense in baseball. What's it like pitching in front of these guys? Uh, makes life a lot easier. <laughs> you know, um, we're able to go out there and uh, trust your defense, and uh, you know, just know that they're going to make uh, the routine plays, and then you know, make some amazing plays behind you it's uh you know it's very very nice and uh yeah i mean these guys have been um you know working their butts off and obviously you know you got both mats and then um you know marcus and you know the outfield it's uh it's huge so i'm uh you know just happy to be part of this and uh yeah let's keep going let's end on this the rotation the past couple of years we've always wondered who's going to be in the rotation we now know right mm-hmm. you guys got your rotation down that's got to feel great going into 2020 being a part of this group 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this, uh, uh, the staff that we have is, uh, you know, we're going to be nasty and, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be part of it and wherever, wherever I'm slotted, it's, uh, you know, it's game day whenever I, whenever I pitch. So I think everybody has that mindset and, and, uh, you know, we're all doing this, this thing together. So I think it's where our strength comes in and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, hopefully everybody can, can stay healthy and, um, you know, just have a, have a good year. Great to see you healthy, continued success, and we'll see you in Oakland. Thank you. Yeah, he's going to be a big part of it. Last year wasn't able to come in until late in the season, but he absolutely dazzled. He was 4-0 with a 1.21 ERA in five games. And some people called for it. Put him out there, start him in the wild card game. He's the hottest pitcher, and unfortunately, it just did not go his way. But that's another reason why you don't want to be in the wild card. But you know what? You may have to be again. You've now played in two. You now understand. Call it a crapshoot, whatever. If you find your way in there again, you got to get it done. And plenty of teams now have been able to win the World Series that were the wild card winners. Yes, you want to win the division. But if you don't, you got to get one of those wild cards. We just don't know what Houston is going to be. They still have talent, but they haven't ad- they've lost. They haven't added. Lance McCullers Jr., I know he's coming back, but he's not going to be a full throttle 30 something starts guy. And you lost Garrett Cole, straight dominance, a guy that could have been the Cy Young Award winner. And you throw all the chaos on top of that. How are they going to do during all that chaos? Bob Nightingale, yesterday, if you're listening to the program, he really he really laid it out what it's like, where there's tons of reporters, everybody's asking questions, they don't want to answer the questions. At some point, they, 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 they're not happy with still getting questions, and it's not going to end. That's not ending anytime soon. They still got to come to Anaheim. They still, they still got to come to, uh, they got to come to Oakland, and everybody's going to be asking the question everywhere they go. And they can, and they can pull the, hey, listen, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about. It. We've already addressed it. That that's not good enough. That's not going to be good enough for anybody. What are the Angels going to be? That's, who knows? I mean, they're going to have offense. They're going to score. It's just, how are they, how are they going to get people out? What, 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 what kind of starting pitching are they going to have? 2020 is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you're getting ready for it, A's fans. I hope you're getting excited for it. I hope you're getting your tickets. Speaking of tickets... It's time to get your tickets. So when the Astros come to town or the Yankees or the Twins and they're playing the NL East, you got Mets, you got Braves, some of the best players in the game. You're going to get to see Ronald Acuna Jr. You're going to see Pete Alonzo, Mike Trout, plus your great players. Get your tickets now, athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. 
I know I've mentioned this, and I'll continue to mention this. Uh, the two wild card games, Mike Fires didn't throw in either, and he lost both. Mike Fires was the opening day starter last year. He should be the opening day starter this year. Mike Fires is going to be the anchor of the staff and let all the hotshot young guys follow behind him. And I'm, and I'm still going to look at Frankie Montas as a young guy. When every, you know, hopefully we'll see everybody right and we'll have that tough call of, okay, Puck, Lazardo, and Bassett. How are those three going to work? Because really, if everybody's healthy, you have more of what you would say a six-man rotation. And you know they want to keep Puck and Lazardo to only so many starts and so many innings. I'll ask David Force that later on today. If you're just joining us, David Force, the general manager, it's the first David Force show. He's going to be on at 530. We're going to go over a lot of different things. Second base, bullpen, uh How's AJ Puck? How, when when Lazardo is on the mound and Puck are on the mound, what's the limitations? You know the thing for Jesus Lazardo, and I'm hoping you know we we had him on when he was in the offices, but I'm I'm gonna try and get him while I'm here. It's tough to get everybody. We've already done a lot of guys. It's tough to get everybody, but for him. To be on the mound deep in games, he's got to be efficient. Because he's they're going to be looking at that pitch count constantly. So he's going to need to be getting some one, two, threes, one, two, threes, one, two, you know. Big pitch innings are going to destroy his chance at winning games and going deep into games. You know, if he's walking guys, he's got to be efficient with getting his outs. And if he does that, then he can be out there longer. I will float to David Force later on today, Cody. My thought of fires opening day. Lazardo pitches game two. And then you put Frankie in the three hole because you think you're going to because if you don't get big innings out of Jesus and the bullpen's got to. The bullpen's got to, you know, take that load on. In a lot of these games, the next guy up has got to give you innings. I asked David Forrest, and of course, he put it on Bob. And then I said, well, Bob won't tell me either. Who's going to tell me? When are you going to tell us what's going on? You, you didn't run by the, uh, would you rather have him pitch the first five innings or last five innings? Oh, I forgot about that. We'll save it for Bob next week. Dang it. Oh, well, but we're back on every week now with Forrest, I believe, right? Yeah, we should. Same with Bob. Actually, we got to figure out if we want to do the Monday or Friday of next week. That's when we're going to be on next week. So we got to figure out which day they want to do it. We got to remember that. I'll try to remember that question so we can ask both of them. So the deal is, if you're telling me Jesus is only going to go five, okay? Now they're not going to tell us this. They're not. They don't want us. They don't. They don't want the other team to know right now what the game plan is. But if you're telling me he's just going five. Do you want him in the first five or the last five? Kind of the role Nathan Avaldi had in the playoffs for the Boston Red Sox, where you have a guy that's so deadly out there that he can close out the last four or five innings and ball game over. Astro- now your bullpen, 
your bull, you go the opener and you get your bullpen. Just hey, shut it down till Jesus gets in, and now this kid's lightning, and he takes it all the way home, and he would, and he gets the win. I know you. Can, that's big. That's big. Getting that win for you. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie Morton did that for the Astros in the World Series too. Remember he came in to close out a few games. They did that with him and McCall. I I like it. I think it works. I don't care about the win part of it. I think it just works if you want to. If you want the. I mean winning for the team. I don't care if the pitcher gets the win. I just mean winning the game oh, for yeah, the team. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because Jesus doesn't care if he gets the win. Yeah. Yo, of course he does. Yeah. The only people that don't care about wins for pitchers are non-pitchers. That's a, that's a fact. I don't think I've ever talked to a pitcher that said, eh, I don't care about wins. Hey, if I have a good yeah, ERA and strikeouts. I don't care what my record is. If I, eh. have, if I have a good quality start, I don't care. Eh. Yeah. I, I'd rather have a quality start than a win. Fine. You know what? We, we're going to go around to every single A's pitcher and ask him that question. It's, it's, it's actually a good question to ask because some, what, if, what, if you go to, what if you give him a scenario? Would you rather go five innings and give up six runs and get a win or go six innings, give up God, one run? That's the worst case scenario, outlier. That's not an outlier. That's a, that's a, okay, rather, what, what, if I go, what if I go seven innings and I give up one, uh, uh, two runs and I get the win? Is that cool? Yeah, that's good. Okay. You, you pitch enough innings. We always complain about guys not going five plus innings. We're gonna walk around to every pitcher and go, "Do you care about your win your win loss record?" Challenge accepted. <laughs> Mike Fires is gonna join us next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. I believe Mike Fires is going to get the ball on opening day, and he's going to be the opening day starter. And I did hear, since I've been here, that there are some players who are going to take a stance that they don't like that Mike Fires spoke up. And I told the per- the person who was giving me this information, well, they just want to keep this thing going? They just wanted cheating to go on all over baseball as there's speculation it's six teams it's eight teams how's it gonna stop a a player not a manager not a not an executive a player had to say something somebody had to had to have the guts to say something and i told this person i said remember he led them in innings pitched and then got left off the playoff roster. It's not like he left on good terms. Like he owed them something. I guarantee you it's nice to have the World Series ring, but if you didn't play during the postseason or the World Series, and I'd never asked Mike this, I mean, it's not, that's a kind of a personal thing. I mean, I, 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 I'd like to have one, but are you really going to wear it around? I mean, you are a part of it. You were a part of it during the regular season, but if you didn't play, I mean, if you're injured, that's one thing. But if you're not injured and they put you off the playoff roster, but uh, to me, somebody had to say something. Somebody had to do I mean, where was it going to stop? I mean, it, it got to a point we, we believe they're wearing buzzers. I mean, it just started to grow and grow and grow. I don't even know if the discipline now will be enough. 
but at least everybody's watching. Here's my conversation with Mike Fires yesterday after his outing. Back-to-back years, one in 97 games. I think you got to be pretty fired up coming into 2020. Yeah, it's um, core group is back. Um, I think we're hungrier than we were the past few years, and um, with the top prospects like Puck and Lazardo helping out, out as starters. I mean, I feel like um, you know they're going to carry a big load for us and, and help us along the way. So, you know, we're excited, and um, but we got to get it done on the field. You know, we. We come on paper, you know, we, we look good on paper, really good. So it's about staying healthy, getting out there, and, and just getting it done. Yeah, Bob Nightingale, we are having a conversation today. He said this could be the World Series preview right here. And I think about your staff and you being the vet, the leader of the staff. Leader of the staff. What's that like for you, helping out all these young guys? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I've never seen myself <laughs> as that type of person, you know, coming up because you're always, you know, trying to um, not step on anyone's toes coming up as a, as a young guy and just following the lead and but now you know in this part of my career you know as a starter we have a lot of young guys so you know I need to lead by example uh, play the game the right way and um, just help them out in any way I can and you look really good so far in spring training heading to the start of the season is this exactly the way you want to feel heading in yeah I feel like I'm definitely ahead of the curve so um, you know, if the season started tomorrow, I feel like I would be in a good spot. So, um, you know, the earlier you can feel, you know, like <laughs> you get that that kind of dead arm out of the way or the cobwebs where your your arm feels more flexible and you're you're building up your arm and you're in a you know comfortable spot out there pitching. I think um, you know it's huge. Uh, I think you know there's been years where I've started the year and just felt like I haven't been ready. So. It's a tough grind to like try to get ready and try to perform at the same time. So um, I'm just glad that right now um, I start a little bit earlier in the off season and feel a lot better now. You know, the hallmark of this team, people have always thought it's, you know, two years ago it was the bullpen. You know, last year, the past couple of years, a lot of home runs. But really it's been the defense behind you, infield and outfield defense. Talk about this defense and is, has, is it one of the best you've ever pitched in front of? Yeah, we got – you know, a couple of gold gloves, a platinum glove. I mean, there's guys around that, you know, probably in the running for gold gloves, you know, just been beat out by a little bit. But, you know, I'll, I'll put our defense up against anybody. Um, we're very well-rounded, you know, pitching, defense, hitting, bullpen, starting. I mean, so, you know, when you have that kind of that group with you, I mean, you just go into the season that much confident. Uh, there's not really much we have um, lacking. So any team that plays us knows they're in for a, a tough battle. Astros won 107, Dodgers won 106. You know, everybody won 100 games last year in the American League who won the division. You won 97 games, but it goes to show you really need to get out to a good start. How important is that for you guys? Yeah, it's it's very important. It's um, April is just as important as uh, as September, and we got to come out of gate strong. And um, you know, those teams have. I've come out strong, and uh, they—I don't really think they've had a a month where they really slumped. So you know that's being consistent, and that's what's going to work in this game. Um, you know, you have six months to to get as many wins as you can, and it's just that's just part of the game. Uh, you you got to be ready to go uh, from day one, and and be consistent through September. So um, it's a tough league, and you just got to be ready. 
Well, I hope you're getting that ball on opening day because you've earned it, and uh, it's going to be a fun season. We appreciate the time, and we'll see you back in Oakland. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Mike Fires. Mike Fires is – he looks strong. Like when I was interviewing him, you can tell he's put on some muscle. He looks strong, and he looked good against, uh, you know, it wasn't the complete Dodger lineup, but that lineup, even the lineup they put out there yesterday, even though it was their full lineup, still looks pretty good. But Mike Fires did look very strong. He's looked strong this spring and ready to be the leader of this staff. And a staff that we're hoping going to give the A's a lot of quality starts and a lot of innings. Because that's the one thing, like crossing my fingers right now, heading into the season, is what's the bullpen going to look like? Is the bullpen going to look like 2018? Or is the bullpen going to look like 2019? What we're hoping for, obviously, is 2018. Coming up here at 5 o'clock, Marcus Simeon is going to stop by the program. But first, before we do that, since Sonny Gray was supposed to be here today, he ended up not being here. We're going to look back at the Sonny Gray trade. Ken Rosenthal, who we had on yesterday, Since he was here yesterday, he wrote a piece in The Athletic. Who actually won the trade? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, partly from the town. The commander is in the town. Actually, he is. He's in he's, uh, in the Jingle Town Studios there in Jack London Square. I'm in Mesa, Arizona, where it's absolutely gorgeous. If you're coming down this weekend, you're going to have a lot of fun. The weather's perfect. You know, like like Ken Korak said to lead off this show, it's like, who cares who wins? You know, you're just out here enjoying beautiful weather. It's not too hot. Have some good food. Have a cold one and watch a little baseball. Marcus Simeon coming your way here at the top of the hour. Sonny Gray. We all remember when Sonny got traded. And there was a time where fans would call the postgame show and wanted Sonny Gray to be signed long-term. And I remember saying, not so sure about that. And because, you know, Sonny Gray, you know, you, you, you love the guys you draft, your young pitchers, and they come up and he's pitching in a, a playoff game and, you know, Sonny Gray's an all-star. And, but then something happened. Sonny Gray all of a sudden got very, very hittable. He comes up at 23 years old. He's got a 2.67 ERA. 24 years old, 3.08. The big year is 2015. He's 14 and 7 with a 2.73 ERA. He finishes third in the Cy Young balloting. And now everybody's starting to say ace. And I just always remembered saying, you know, you got to do more than that to be an ace. There's a you got you got to collect hardware. You got there's certain things you need to do to be an ace. 
And then after that year, Sonny Gray had a 5.69 ERA. He was 5 and 11. Then the next year, he's 6 and 5 with a 3.43, and they trade him to New York. And in New York, he had trouble pitching at Yankee Stadium. He was 4 and 7 with a 3.72. That's not dominating. And so when you look back at the trade, you're getting Dustin Fowler, who the kid gets his first opportunity in the first inning. Cody, was that in Chicago where he hurt his knee? I remember I remember it happening. Let me check. But I remember the knee problem happened where he banged into the wall and he busted up his yeah, knee. Yeah, it was a very, very he, – he, he, he didn't even get he – didn't, he didn't even get in that bat. And I want to say it was on the road and he was hitting down in the order. It didn't happen at home because I remember they were talking about a potential lawsuit. I don't know yeah. if there ever was one um, for a low wall. It was uh, It was over on the south side of Chicago. It was I, against so the White I got Sox. It was the White Sox. It's a great mem- great pull by you. And then James Caprellian, the, the big gun out of UCLA, but coming back from Tommy John, and shortstop Jorge Mateo. Now – you look back on the deal, July 21st, 2017. Commander, who did Ken Rosenthal say won the trade? You didn't put it in here. Uh, he actually thinks that um, neither team won the trade. Uh, so that's where that, that or that's where it stands. He, I was reading through it, and then at the very end he goes, um, he says neither team has won the trade so far because Sonny Gray obviously pitching in New York did not pitch well at all. Let's see, his ERA in New York was 4.51 and 195 and two-third innings in New York. And then he gets traded to Cincinnati, where they – then the guy they acquired in the trade from the Reds, they sent to the Mar- – the Yankees sent to the Mariners. And then we've seen the three guys that the A's have gotten. Neither – two of them, and Caprillion and Mateo haven't even debuted yet. And then Dustin Fowler either can't stay healthy or he's – you know, he had his first hit in spring the other day. So, uh, back, I remember back in the day, like – you know, working at the old station, everyone was like, Sonny Gray, Sonny Gray, when are you going to trade him? When are you going to trade him? That was a question every week to David Forrest. When's the big Sonny Gray trade going to happen? When's the Sonny Gray trade going to happen? And then it finally happened, and you get the guys back, and Brian Cashman, you know, even amidst still that he gave up a lot to to get Sonny Gray, and he knows that the trade really didn't work out. But still, ba- back then, when, when Sonny got traded, he was like the last piece of the of the team that – the, you know, the 2012 and on teams that, you know, was the, like pretty much the last guy left. And then he went to New York and just struggled, you know, a lot. And then he gets reunited with his old pitching coach, Derek Johnson from Vandy in Cincinnati. And he has kind of a, a renaissance last year pitching for the Reds in the Great American Small Park. Well, to be fair, if I had to grade it out, it's incomplete. Well, yeah, That's I, how I would look at it. Because the guys for the A's haven't, you know, two of them haven't even debuted yet. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a failure for the Yankees. They, they, I, I, I'm not even going to get into what they what they did with Cincinnati and Sonny Gray was supposed to help them in a playoff run. Sonny Gray was supposed to show up there and pitch like an ace and and, and you know and, and be that guy that. I didn't think he was anymore, and I never, you know, 
He had one really good year. He had like two good years. That, that doesn't make you an ace. But that's what the Yankees wanted. That's what they thought they were getting. They thought they were getting an electric arm. So for them, it's an F. No matter – the trade's an F for the Yankees. The A's is incomplete. And the reason why I say that is, what if Jorge Mateo is the starting second baseman for the A's this year? What if Jorge Mateo is the 26th man on the roster? And he can play all learn to play all over the diamond. Looks what look what's happened with Chad Pender. Look what's happened with Mark Canna. Good athletes can play all around the diamond. Hey, if something happens to Marcus Simeon, who's playing shortstop? Chad Pender? Or would you have Mateo? I think I'd rather have Mateo. So if Mateo makes the club this year and plays, right, just right there, the A's win the trade. If James Caprellian goes down to AAA and throws the ball well and he's fully healthy and something happens and he call he gets called up this year and and helps the A's win some games and the A's win the division and they go to the playoffs. Cody, when you say just that scenario that I gave you, that's an easy win for the A's in this trade. I agree. And Caprillion was, you know, he's down in AAA. He was sent down yesterday. And then I was, I went back to look at Ken's article, and he pretty much says in here, and this is a strong, this is a bold statement. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in the next year, but he says that Mateo is, uh, along with Franklin Barreto, are the leading internal candidates to take over at shortstop once Marcus Simeon departs as a free agent. So Ken's already saying Marcus is going to leave. We have a year before we can even figure out if that's even going to happen. But he also says that there is the the uh, interest in Mateo around the league, according to sources, tepid, meaning it's lukewarm. So because he's out of options, so it, you're either going to have to keep him or trade him or cut him. And I think you got to keep him. We talked about this yesterday. He he'd be so valuable off the bench as a base runner. We've seen what he can do in spring. We've seen what he does in AAA. I think you got to hold on to him because. He can play multiple positions. He can play in the outfield. You don't know what's going to, you know, we don't know what's going on with Steven Piscotti when he's going to be back. You can use him as a baser. I, I think holding on to him is great. And then Caprillion, the same thing. If he comes up later in the season and he pitches well, Donna Triple comes up, wins some games for you. Right there, you already have two pieces that have worked out for you. Now, Ken says that this is like the, the classic baseball uh, trade, pretty much, where it just didn't work out for both teams. Again, I'm with you. I, I disagree. I think you still have to wait because. Neither, we haven't seen any of these guys really have a big sample size in the major leagues for the A's. Well, yeah, and it, 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 let's just say Marcus does leave. Who's playing shortstop? Well, Logan Davis is not ready yet. I mean, he only played in Nick single Allen? A. He's a youngster, too. So, I, I you know... It could be a tough call. I don't see Barreto. I know he can play, but I don't I don't see Barreto as a shortstop. I'm with you. I think Logan Davidson is the guy down the line in the, for the future, depending on what happens with Marcus. That's wild speculation. We don't know what's going to happen with Marcus in the next year. But they, Logan Davidson was the first-round draft pick out of Clemson. And he's been playing in spring training now. We saw him. He had he had a couple. He had in the bat today. He played in, over the weekend. He's been up for you know a couple days. Uh, I, I want to see what he has, but he's still so young. 
And there's so many questions about could he hit? Well, he's know, a college guy, so he's not that young. And your college guys, your first-round picks, you want to have them in the big leagues two to three years. Remember, it was last year they were wondering if he could hit with the wooden bat. Uh, you know, is he going to be able to hit from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter? Uh, I, I just, you know, I I still think that we got to wait a little bit on him. And you're right, the other ones, the other players, Nick Allen, but they're both so young. So you got to, you got to. It's either you know Marcus or you know you want to use Mateo at shortstop. We really don't have. There's, they really don't have any other options. If something would happen if Marcus gets hurt or anything this year, although he does play every single game, so I don't think that's going to happen. He's can't say he's the modern day Cal Ripken, but he did play every game last year. He is the modern day. He plays every game. I I, I want to see. I just want to see him here long term. He's from he's from the Bay Area. He means so much to this team, the community, and every, you know, and he everyone just likes his story. I mean, we all know about the the issues with the fielding and could he actually play shortstop. He finished third in the MVP voting. I I, I think he's uh, come a long way from being that guy that was in the in the trade with the White Sox. Oh yeah, I mean that's yeah that's that's. You think about where Marcus was and where Marcus is now. It, it truly is an unbelievable story. It, it's just, it, it's special. And it couldn't, ha- and, and you know what? It, it, it couldn't happen to a better guy. It just, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And we're, you're going to hear, from, and by the way, since we're bringing, since we're bringing up Marcus, you are going to hear from him next as, we're going to talk with Marcus Simeon down in the clubhouse. But it, it truly is one of the great stories. That's the thing. We Two stories that are just lights out are Liam Hendricks. I'm telling you, you're not going to find someone who was DFA'd and then playoff game, uh, all-star, cover the media guide. You're not going to find that. I love the media guy thing because you're so ex- you get so excited when you talk about. It, you're like he's on the cover of the media guide. Like like I just <laughs> wait, wait, and some people might think that's ridiculous. Okay, I understand, but you got to realize teams put their stars on the media. They put their best players on the media guide. So every single team, you grab the media guide, and it's not middle of the road players. It's not pretty good players. It's your all star. It's your best player. Or it's your best players. So on the A's media guide this year, it's Matt Chapman, Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson, and Liam Hendricks. I mean, Simeon and Hendricks, no one would have thought Marcus Simeon, when he was making all those errors, would be getting MVP votes and being third. Would never even dream that Marcus Simeon would be in a category with Mike Trout and, and Bregman. No one would have thought that. No one would have thought Marcus was going to be on the media guide. No one thought he was going to be a starting shortstop in the major league in the major leagues after so long. So right now, Nick Allen is 21 years old, and Logan Davidson is 22. So yeah, they're they're definitely young. All right, coming up next, we're going to hear from Marcus Simeon, your shortstop, right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 
29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on! So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, Cody, I'm looking it up. Jorge Mateo, how old do you think he is? 24. He is 24. He is still young. I only know that because Ken mentioned in his article and I looked at it earlier. I mean, that, that, that is still young. Time's now for Caprellian. He's 26. And if he goes down and throws the ball well, he's going to get he's going to get an opportunity if somebody goes down up here. You know, it's like what Scott Emerson had to say. Don't be focused and worried about the big leagues win here. Compete here. At each level, you do well and you compete the right way. That's when you move up. One thing you never want to do is come up to the big leagues and not be ready and get your brains beat in and you never get back. You want me to read the uh, statistics for Marcus Simeon last season? Marcus Simeon hit 285, 33 home runs, 92 RBIs, played in 162 games, the most in baseball, had 747 plate appearances, the most in baseball. He scored 123 runs, had 187 hits, 43 doubles, 7 triples, 10 stolen bases, an OPS of 892. An OPS plus of 138. He was an 8.1 war. Basically, Marcus Simeon had a historic season last year. And that's why he was third in the MVP balloting. Here is my conversation with the Oakland A shortstop. Spring training 2020. How you feeling? I'm uh, feeling good. Just really excited um, to have pretty much everybody coming back. Um, Everybody's getting better every year. You know, we're, we're still together, so that's, you know, I think we're going to do well. You know, I think about this team, and the number one thing I took away from this team at FanFest was confidence. And you think about back-to-back 97 wins and where you guys are now, and as you mentioned, the core back together. Talk about that confidence you guys have right now. Yeah, I mean, right now it's still early, but um, we've had some success. And you get to the playoffs and you see how it's done you know, to get there. And we, we know what we need to do to get past that. So it's, it's just a matter of getting it done and putting the work in. Yeah, a lot of teams, you, you, you learn by being good, and then you learn some from failure. So the fact that you've been in that game twice, you now know you don't want to be in that game again, and it's about you know winning the division. Yeah, I mean, if you break down our month-by-month performance, it's, it was the start that we had that kept us out of the, the division lead. Um, We've got better pitching at the beginning now. We've got the same position guys for the most part. Um, you know, we, we've added some pieces, so I think it'll be exciting. 
I know we talked to you down at the winter meetings in San Diego, and I'm going to ask you the same question. When did it really set in in the off season where you went, damn, I had a really good year? Uh, I think in San Diego, just when we went down there for the uh, all MLB team and, um, you know, just kind of see you know, video and just stats and stuff and say, wow, I really improved <laughs> and uh, the work that I put in, it's all coming together. And the one thing I think about your team, because a lot of people talk about offense two years ago is about the bullpen. I think the hallmark of your team and the reason why you guys win is defense. Not only your infield defense, your outfield defense. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we, we work hard. We work hard at it. Uh, everybody has a routine. Um, even the outfielders are out there, you know, during BP, just going really hard. And we've set a culture here to, you know, that it's cool to be good at defense and work on it. And um, yeah, that's what we do. And we've seen great results. And one of the good things about this spring is normally at this time, Billy Bean and David Force are trying to figure out a pitching staff. How nice is it to know your core and your starters? Yeah, that's nice. I mean, um, even if someone goes down, we've got a lot of depth now, and um, you can kind of see who it's going to be. We've always been kind of wondering what that fifth fit spot's going to be. Um, but, you know, we, we're pretty set right now and just got to stay healthy. How's the family? Kids are growing fast. Yeah, they're here. They're here with me and, uh, you know, just watching baseball, and they love it. And I, I'm happy they love uh, to watch what I do, and, and they, they love to play when I get home, too. Yeah, it's cool they're getting to see you at this age because, I mean, I blink right now, and all of a sudden my twins are 14, so it happens real fast. Hey, great catching up with you. Stay healthy, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Thanks. See you. He's good people. There's no doubt about it. Cody, we're not we're not on the radio anymore. If there's a pause, you don't have to freak out. I wasn't freaking out. I just finally watching your lips move, but nothing's coming out. <laughs> this millennial technology, when we're playing the interviews, I have to mute my mic every time. It's unbelievable. And then if I and then if I if I'm talking, Cody's like, uh. we're a streaming station now, Cody. I don't like dead air. The world is different. Don't like dead air. It can have dead air. We can have we can have dead air. You cannot talk for three, four seconds. The world is not going to fall apart. It's going to be hard, let's be honest, for Marcus to repeat last year. Because that year, I mean, you're putting his year up there with, I guess, Reggie Jackson. Ricky Henderson. I mean, Jose's 40-40. Giambi's MVP year. Tejada's MVP year. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's the fact that he played every single game and he was fabulous. I mean, these numbers. I mean, he was just a human stat machine leading off. Scoring 123 runs. That is a ton of runs. 747 plate appearances. How's he not exhausted? You have to, Cody, you have to admit, this is one of the greatest shortstop seasons of all time, and he's doing it in a where 81 of the games he played was in Oakland, and Oakland is not a hitter's ballpark. I agree 100%. 
the 123 runs, the what was it, 138 OPS plus, which is a number I love. Um, if people don't know what that is, he was 38 points better than league average. Just to give people an idea of how good he how was the, last year. How about the 43 doubles? The doubles. He what? Seven triples. He had 10, 10 stolen bases. The 33 home runs is great, but everyone hit home runs last year. But Marcus, is, what was his career for that 27 in like 2016? Uh, he had an outstanding year. The the three guys in the infield, him, Olsen, and Chapman, all put up, I think, around 90 RBIs or if not more. That's incredible for your shortstop, first baseman, and third baseman on your team. And then you had Chris Davis who had a down year. He still had 60, I think, 60 RBIs. And Canna had a Mark Canna had a great year. This year, I, I'm expecting Marcus to. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to take a dive at all. I think his numbers are going to be pretty similar, especially if he's leading off. He's still going to score a lot of runs. He's going to play every game, barring an injury. He'll play every game. He's Kyle Ripken, and we'll we'll probably see him in top five again in MVP. I'll, I'll put that out there. I'll throw that take out there right now. Top five MVP. If Marcus Simeon goes out and has another year like he had, he is going to get paid. I mean, he is going to make some big-time loot, and he'll deserve it. One, one thing, though, Marcus loves it here. Marcus wants to raise his kids here. Marcus's wife wants to be here. She confirmed that as we were interviewing him down at the winter meetings. I don't, I, you know, this is tough to gauge because essentially we're going off one season. What did he pull in this year? They gave him $13 million. Yeah. So we're going off one season. Now, he did have a good he did have 27 home runs and 75 RBIs in 2016. And then he hurt the wrist in 2017, fighting his way back, wasn't that great in 2018. But this was a superstar year. And you know, and it's funny when you look like I'm on I'm on his Are you on his baseball reference page? No, I'm trying to I'm just googling uh the, the greatest offensive seasons for a shortstop, and I'm trying to – the list mainly consists of A-Rod, pretty much, so. A-Royd? Back when he was with Seattle and Texas. Yeah, can you, I mean, can you imagine – so th- that that was when the ballpark in Arlington, they had, that, they had that jet stream out to right center. Can you imagine if you took Marcus's year and put it in that ballpark, what his, what his numbers would have been this – they would have been great. <laughs> they were great. It'd be greater, and it's hard to believe they could be greater. I mean, he would have more home runs, more RBIs, higher average, scored more runs if he was playing in a bandbox. There's no question. But some people have predicted some big money for Marcus. This next contract is going to be his 30s. Is he going to be playing 162 games every year? Probably not. If he repeats this year, God bless him. It's unbelievable. I, 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 I mean, I hope he comes close. It's, it's not easy to replicate your career year. But it'd be great if he comes close, no question. 
but how much is someone going to go nuts with a contract on what you'd be paying for is basically two years? I don't know what his value is. I, 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 I have no clue. Is it, is it? Would you give him $100 million when I don't want to pay him for past performances. I want to pay him for future performances. And the first year of this contract is going to be when he's 30 years old. I would say, let's put this in context. I looked it up, the all-time war leaders per season. Marcus's war was what? According to baseball reference, his B war was 8.1. That is the 275th best war in the history of baseball for a single season. Now, how many years have we been playing baseball? He's in the top 300 all time for a single season. That's incredible. If you put the, if you look at it from a broad spectrum in the context of it. Well, yeah, I mean, how many of those are Bonds and and, and Ruth and, and yeah. Ted Williams and That's what I mean. Mike you're, Trout? You're mentioned with the, you're in a you're in a league with the greatest players to ever play the game, and you're in the top 300. That's pretty remarkable. Although I yeah, saw, I, I, I bet that list. I bet that list is basically like all Hall of Famers, right? Uh, a lot of them. There's uh, Matt Chapman's 2018. He had an 8.2 B wars above Marcus. And then, do you remember a player named Bernard Gilkey? Yeah. He he had a war that year. That, uh, it was 8.1 in 1996. I was like, who is this guy? He had 30 homers and drove at 117 runs that year at age 29. I have no idea who he is. Then I realized if he drove in that many runs and had that many home runs, that's the same year Brady Anderson hit 50. I think I know why he had all those home runs and RBIs. Well, yeah. But the way how many how many of those? Uh, how many of the when you're looking on there? How many are steroids? Well, let's see. Uh, Bonds is on here. Um, then Robbie Cano get busted with something. He's on here. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Hall of Famers on this list. A lot. Uh, there's a J.D. Drew season on here for some reason. Apparently, he was really good one year. Pool host is on here. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of Hall of Famers and you know players like Bonds who are not in the Hall of Fame that are should be in the Hall of Fame. And then you have current players like Bregman and Matt Chapman, Josh Donaldson. Somehow Ben Zobris had an 8.6 WAR in 2009. I I don't wow. know how, but I don't know how good his year really was. But that's just some of the, like I I wanted to look it up and see just where it ranked. And if you're I mean, to me, I think that's very high. 8.1 out of 275 out of all the years they've been playing baseball. It's a really, really good year. <laughs> oh, there is. There, there's no question. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I In an ideal world, I'd like to see the A's offer him a really good contract. I wouldn't go crazy nuts because, remember, like I said, now you're paying him to be in his 30s. But I'd like to take care of him and his family make them comfortable, and make him want to be here for years. Am I going to break the bank for him? I, I, probably not. And if that's what Marcus wants, that's his right. If, if he's trying to get max value, God bless him, and I, I, I hope he gets it. No matter where he goes, I will always root for him. You know, I mean, like, look at Yelich. Everybody's saying, oh, my God, Yelich, you only took $215 million. 
you could have got a lot more. It's about perspective. He wanted to stay in Milwaukee. He likes it there. He was he genuine likes it about there. it. He's comfortable there. He's sexy. He's successful there. He digs playing there. Not everybody wants to have the biggest contract. Not everybody wants to play in New York. Not everybody wants to play in Boston. We're hearing already down here that like Mookie Betts and David Price are like, oh, God, this is so nice to not have to deal with all these Boston writers <laughs> and all these Boston TV people and all these Boston radio people and all the podcasters. I don't have people just down my throat every single day because it's chill. It's L.A. You got the guy from the L.A. Times. You got the guy from the Orange County Register. You got the guy who's covering the Dodgers from MLB.com. What's our buddy's name who does the radio? For, oh, Tim Neverett? No, 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 no. The guy that, the guy who's me for the Dodgers. Oh, Dave Say. Davis say, by the way, I, I saw him yesterday. Um, yeah, he was laughing. Did, did I did I tell the story yesterday about Ken Rosenthal and uh, Dave Roberts? Uh, no, I just remember you telling me through text that uh, Ken Ken had priority over you interviewing Dave Roberts. Uh, well, there's a, there's some reason, but let me just say this: we've heard that these Dodger guys are just you know they're they're happy to be outside of Boston. It's, it's something that Billy Bean would talk about. Billy Bean was like, Billy Bean can go to his Starbucks. I'm not going to tell you where he lives. I mean, it's not hard to find out. But he goes to his, he can go and get his Starbucks and hang out and get it. And no one says anything to him. And he gets in his car and goes to work. You can't do that in Boston. You can't do that in New York. I respect it, but you can't do that. I mean, it's just the coverage is unbelievable. You don't play well and... Kids are harassing your kids at school because your dad's not playing. I mean, it's a hard, it's hardcore in Philly and Boston and the Northeast. They're different kind of people than we are. So I guess Mookie Betts is already loving it. Like Mookie Betts, if he would have stayed in Boston, just like the Astros would have, they're going to get hammered about cheating. Mookie Betts would have got the contract talk every day, all day. Why are you signing? Why are you going to free agency? Why do you want so much money? Do you think you're worth the money? He would have got that every single day. He's not going to get that in L.A. No, Tom Brady will take care of that for him with the, the contract talks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, 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 right now, Tom Brady's the, the, the big talk on WEEI. I can guarantee you that. All right, so here's my Dave Roberts story. So Cody sets it up that Dave Roberts is going to show up. He's going to do his media scrum in the dugout. And then I'm going to have him and I'm going to tape an interview with him. Uh, it's what we played yesterday here on A's cast live. And I would do the interview and then boom, he'd go up to his office. So Dave's late, by the way, the whole Dodger team shows up. Dave's late. Don't know what the deal is. And I'm sitting down there nervous waiting. I'm looking at my clock. And obviously, we're an hour here for two more days, an hour ahead of you in the Bay Area. So right now, for me, it's 624. For you, it's 524. And we'll set the clocks forward, spring forward, fall back. We'll set the clocks forward, and we'll be even on Sunday. So 
Dave, they bring him in on the golf cart. Dave takes his bag, puts it down, goes up, sits. You know how the guys sit up on the uh, uh, on the bench, and all the Dodger and I sit off to the side, and all the Dodger people ask their questions about all the different things. And then when he's done, he hops down and goes, "Come here, Kenny." And I went, "Oh God, you're killing me!" So they go up onto the onto the dirt, right where the railing is. With Dave Roberts' back to me and Ken Rosenthal, and you can tell it's an animated conversation. And Dave Say walks by and goes, This is going to take a while. And I'm going, Oh. And I'm looking at my clock, and you can tell us. So there was a beef that's been brewing. I don't know what it's from. I don't know if it's something that was said by Ken Rosenthal. In the athletic, I don't know if it was something that Ken Rosenthal said on MLB Network or if one of his colleagues said something, if this is something that's happened recently in spring training or this goes back to like last year's postseason and this is the first time they're seeing each other. So they had a pretty animated conversation for a while. And then luckily, I wanted to look at Ken and go, come on, Ken, you're killing me. You can talk to him at any time. Luckily, it finally ended, and it looked like it was they 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 separated on good terms, and then I was able to do the interview. But yeah, that's you know that's something you got to deal with when you're a national guy or someone like myself who's a local guy, and you give opinions, and you know things get back to the players. We saw Bob Guerin yesterday. Bob Guerin, I walked by Bob Guerin. I looked at him. He looked at me. I don't think he remembers me. But Bob Guerin wasn't a big fan of mine. I'll just be honest with you. Bob Guerin was not a fan of mine. His wife was not a fan of mine. But I told it like it was. And if you do that, those things that those things will happen. And that's but but the good thing is someone like Ken Rosenthal, he's not going to sit there and duck Dave, Dave Roberts. They're going to talk it out. Be two men. Be two professionals. And I believe they did that. And people in, in, in our business, you have to understand, that's what always got me about the just the talk show host, the studio gangsters, as we like to call them. Everybody's a tough guy when you're in the studio. Everybody can sit there and rip everybody because they never go out and face these guys. They don't go into the clubhouse. They don't go into the football locker room or the basketball locker room. So they can say whatever they want from afar They'll be like, oh, I went to the game. No, you sat in seats. You didn't go down there and face any of these guys and talk to these guys and own up. I mean, if you're going to sit there and rip people, you got to be, you got to make yourself available. They got to have their turn. Coming up next, it's the first installment in 2020 of the David Force Show, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. We will get into second base. We'll get into A.J. Puck. We'll get into bullpen. We'll get into expectations. We'll get into a lot of different things with the general manager as I sat down with him on the Bob Welch bench, the special Bob Welch bench, and the A's dugout. David Force next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. 
So something really cool happened tonight. I'm just seeing on Twitter on, on ESPN. Dr. J, who was a star, loved Dr. J back in the day. He's at the Barclays Center for the first time where the Nets play. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, he played for the Nets before playing in the NBA. He was a two-time ABA champion, two-time ABA playoffs MVP. And then, of course, goes to the NBA, wins a title with the Sixers, was the most valuable player, 11-time All-Star, five-time ABA All-Star. You go to his Wikipedia page, it's incredible. I mean, Dr. J, he was a star, man. He was the first guy in the dunk contest to fly from from the uh, free throw line. He was Dr. J, man. He was a star, so they he's got a standing ovation, and it looks pretty cool. First time he had been back there. Happy for him. Met Dr. J at the All-Star game when the Warriors hosted that. <sighs> 98, 97? 2000. That was the Vince Carter dunk contest. It was 2000. Yes, that was 2000? Yeah. It was 20 years ago, like a couple weeks ago, because uh, they did a whole anniversary thing on Vince Carter dominating the dunk contest. All righty. We're going to get the state of the A's right now. This is our first installment, and we'll be doing this all year long with David Force, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. This is the only place you can hear Bob Melvin on a weekly basis. This is the only place you can hear David Forrest on a weekly basis on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Here is the A's GM. Well, it's the very first David Force show of 2020 as we're here in the dugout at spring training. How are you? I'm doing great. It's beautiful out here. Where else would you rather be? Yeah, you cannot beat it when, when, when the sun's out and you're in the 70s and it's not getting too hot yet. There's really not a better setting. I've, I've got shorts and flip-flops on here for all your listeners. So, no, there is no better setting. Spring training 2020, how's it going for you so far? You know, it's been it's been quiet, which is good. Um, got a couple guys banged up, obviously, with uh, Piscotti and, and A.J. Puck in the training room, and, and those are the things you kind of look at during the spring is you just want to get to opening day as healthy as possible. So um, happy to do that for the most part. You know, we started out, I think, 0-5, and uh, some of the guys were worried about, about, you know, wins and losses, and those things always correct themselves during the spring, so we never look too closely at that. But guys are playing well right now, which is good. Yeah, we were in full-on panic mode in the post game. I just want to let you know that, starting out 0-5. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the phones were ringing off the hook with, with concerned callers. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to start with A.J. Puck, but unfortunately, you know, you, you brought it up. He's been checked. What do we know so far? He just has a, a, you know, a shoulder strain. It's muscular in nature. You know, there's no... Um, you know, no structural issues involved. He's going to have to take a little time off from throwing. I mean, we're already here at, I believe, five days, uh, maybe a few more days non-throwing, and then we'll get him back into it. But um, but he saw our doctor here, Doug Freeberg. He saw Elitrosh in L.A. And um, just, you know, just a little thing that happens in spring training when you get ramped up too quickly. So hopefully he'll be ready to go soon. You think he'll be able to start the season? I, we don't have a timeline yet. I mean, it's... You know, with a March 26th opening day, everything feels rushed. 
so we'll have to see how quickly he can get back up on the mound and, and get back. You know, obviously with a starter, it's a mo- it's a more intense process. There's always a case where you know you work you can stretch guys out as we go. It just depends on the personnel. But let's get AJ out there on the mound first, and then we'll figure that out. I remember last year in Japan, I was talking to you about the fourth option with Chris Bassett, and obviously he wasn't all that excited to go back down and now what is just a valuable guy he is with aj being out you can pencil chris right in yeah i mean i think we knew chris was going to be part of our starting rotation picture no matter what happened uh the most obvious was yeah if somebody in that first five went down he was going to be right there but you know even if we're, we're healthy even if you have those six guys and, and even if daniel mangan comes back or paulie blackburn is pitching today works his way in you're going to have to be creative with, with innings and with days off, and all these guys are going to end up starting for us at some point. You know, I think about the past couple of years doing interviews with you at spring where we're always talking about who's going to be the starting rotation, and you had to, like, figure it out right, right on the fly. How nice is that you come down here and you know who your guys are? Yeah, that's why this was a, a different offseason than, than the last two and, and probably even going back further than that is – um, when you have those guys set, when you can sort of build around the rotation, it, it makes a big difference. And, and as much as we talk about the, the position player foundation that's here, and it, it's fantastic with, with Marcus and, and Matt and Matt on the corners and Ramon in center, you know, you, you need that foundation from the position player group. What we've seen in Oakland over the last 20 years is how much we depend on the starting rotation and how that group really dictates how far this team can go. Yeah, because around baseball last year, we saw it where all of a sudden bullpens are being used more and bullpen ERA is now higher than starters ERA. And it's just the more you start using the bullpen, they have worn down. I mean, there is that success. The more innings you can get out of your starters, the better. Yeah, and and more so now because of some of the rule changes. You you know, obviously the three batter minimum is going to affect the way managers can use the bullpen. Um, but also putting a 13 pitcher max on that 26 man roster will make a difference. Ultimately, that's the number we've been at. Uh, you know, almost 100% of the time. But just knowing you don't necessarily have the flexibility to add an extra arm if guys get worn down or, or you know, if you don't have guys with options to really swap guys out, um, it makes it makes a difference for what you expect from the starting rotation. And, um, you know, the, the clearest example in our history, obviously, is during that 20-win streak back in, in 2002 when you had a guy every night who was going to go out there and give you six, seven innings, and you saw the ripple effect. And, and then as you look back over the playoff runs in, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, in the last two years, what you can get out of the guys at the top of the rotation really makes a difference every single night when you're looking at a rested bullpen versus having to really scuffle to put nine innings together. So when you talk about workload for the young guys, and obviously we'll talk about Puck when he's ready to go, but like Jesus Lazardo, what are you thinking, what's the game plan, I guess I should say, when you're looking at workload for Jesus? The game plan on Jesus is simply just to, to monitor him and to, to be in constant communication on how he feels, both when he's throwing, when he's in the training room. Um, but keep in the back of your head that this is a young pitcher who's never thrown a full professional season. You know, and even going back to his senior year of high school when he when he had Tommy John surgery, it's been a while since he's been out there 
uh, regularly. He's never been out there every fifth day. So these are all things we just need to keep in mind. Emo and Bob have to talk with, with Nick and the training staff every time he goes out there to make sure we know how he's feeling. So then that takes me to how important is it to the guy that follows Jesus Lazardo has got to give you innings. So I was thinking, tell me if I'm crazy, like Mike Fires opening day starter. Then you go Jesus Lazardo. Then number three, I like Frankie Montas because I think you're going to get a lot of innings out of him. Do you have that kind of mindset? Whoever is following Jesus is going to have to give you innings. You're going to have to check with Bob on the order that guy's going. I, that's, he won't tell me. Well, he won't tell me either. How about that? No, we're going to figure out the, the order, but but you're right. The guys in front and behind Jesus, really, you rely on to, to make sure you have a full bullpen ready. And, and look, there are going to be days where Jesus does go out there for six or seven innings, and he, he's economical with his pitches, but there's also going to be days when, you know, guys are fouling stuff off. He gets to 100 pitches in the fifth inning, and you think, okay, you know, what has he done this last start? What's What do we need him for the next start? So, yes, the, the pitchers on either side of Jesus in this rotation are going to be important. I think about bullpens and your guys' job and years where you don't think you're going to have that great of a bullpen, you can have a great bullpen, and years where you think you're going to have a great bullpen. It's not, I mean, just how tough is it year in and year out to figure out the bullpen? It's always the most the most volatile part of this group and the, the most difficult group to project, frankly. As much as we sit around in October, November, December and think we know what we're doing and think we can, you know, put projected numbers on players, the, the bullpen is always the most humbling part because nobody had Liam Hendricks doing what he did last year. Um, and no one, you know, not many people had Blake Trinan doing what he did the year before. I mean, these guys are incredibly talented, but as you and I have talked about, they have such a small margin for error that their numbers are affected by a very small uh, number of outings. So, yeah, it is difficult. We think we have a really strong, durable group, starting with Liam in the back, with guys like Soria and Petit, who are veterans, you know what they're capable of, with Lou, who you hope bounces back, with Diekman and McFarland from the left side. But, again, until you get into the season and see how guys are performing, Bob and Emo are going to have to kind of be nimble with them. I was joking with Liam. I'm like, hey, you realized two years ago you're DFA'd, then you're starting the wild card game. Then the next year, you're in the all-star game. And now this year, you're on the media guide. You tell me in two years, the guy that got DFA'd and then is on the media guide. There's no way that's ever happened. The beauty of Liam is that he probably did expect it. I mean, these guys, um, you know, you never underestimate the confidence they have in themselves, which is what makes them great. And uh, I'm sure Liam had some down days when he was designated and he was hurt a lot that year as well don't forget um but i don't doubt that he always believed in himself and and probably did somewhere see himself on a media guide so we're you know we're lucky he did what he did last year and are hoping for another great season you know you guys have your own version of analytics and metrics but recently i had mark simon on from the fielding bible and he's talking about what what they're seeing is your infield is historically good. He's saying Matt Chapman already, and this is mind-blowing. He's, he's an all-time great defender already. And then you think about shortstop, you think about first base. Just how special is your defense? To, and to me, it's really been the hallmark of your winning 97 games the last two years. No doubt the last two years specifically. The defense has been a huge part, and we've we've talked about Marcus's development. But, but yeah, putting him with the two gold glovers on the corners – 
Um, I, I mean, I agree with Mark Simon. I think Matt Chapman is already historically great at third base. Um, it's interesting for Oakland fans who got to see Eric Chavez for all those years and kind of took his play for granted at some point when he was just racking up gold gloves. I mean, how far away is Chappie still from Chavi with, you know, with, I think Eric won six in a row at one point. Um, but it is a huge part of today's game. It is something that we believe we can measure a lot better than we could a decade ago or, or when Eric was out there at third base. So um, I know Bob doesn't take it for granted. I know our pitchers don't. I mean, even even our game the other day, I mean, Chavi, or excuse me, sorry, Chapman has two balls smoked at him picks them up like they're nothing and the pitchers really appreciate it so it's it's going to continue to be a big part of what we do here yeah the craziness is his athleticism where he's able to play so deep to take away doubles but he can come in on balls and he probably could play short on it on an everyday basis he's that good of an athlete but the one question in the infield is second base where are we with second base right now we're having a great spring out of a lot of guys, frankly. I mean, Tony Kemp started out on fire with the bat. Uh, Vimeo Machine has been, you know, what we've expected in terms of his approach and taking some walks. And then, you know, Barreto and Mateo, the two out of options guys, have, have had good games as well. Mateo's made some nice adjustments already here in the spring after his first few games. Um, and Frankie's, you know, made some of the hardest contact we've had in camp. So... Uh, it's a good problem to have when all four guys in that mix are playing well. Um, you know, you've also got Pinder and Noisy have the capability of playing over there. So we've got basically two weeks left here to uh, to sort of figure that out and, and see where the guys fit. But it's right now it's a good problem. Yeah, Barreto and Mateo out of options. How much does that play into it? It's been a question all offseason for us. And, and frankly, Machine's in the similar category where he's asked to make our team or be sent back to the Cubs. So... Um, you know, we've had some interest from other teams. I think those guys are out there playing, knowing that they're going to be in the big league somewhere. Um, but we'd like to make sure we get that decision, get it, get it right before the before opening day. Let's end on this. For the first time in your career, you got an extra guy to play with on the roster, a 26th man. What are you thinking about that role, and what is what does that player look like to you? I think it makes a big difference for Bob, and we'll see the, the changes in-game because we have, frankly, we've sort of hamstrung ourselves with only having 12 position players the last five, six years probably, um, and knowing how much we rely on matchups and how good Bob is at getting guys in in the right spot, to give him an extra position player, an extra bat off the bench or a defensive replacement, whatever it is, I mean, I hope we see early on the effects of, of his managing and how it makes a difference late in games. It's you and me the next six and a half months. I know you're excited. We'll have a lot of good things to talk about, I'm sure. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. There it is. The David Force Show. A lot to react to next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. The Dallas Braden thing's funny. And he totally deserves to be the folk hero of the Oakland Athletics. I made that promo he today. He earned that. What do you got, Cody? I said I made that promo today. I was like, I remembered him saying that. I was like, we have to get something from him. He was on for like 15 minutes or so on my, when we our first day in spring training. And I was like, we have to get something. And as soon as you asked him that question, I'm like, all right, that's, that's the promo. That's what we're going to use. I can tell you right now, it's so beautiful here as the sun is going down. 
and the lights are on here at the stadium, and it's pr probably around high 60s, no wind, doesn't look like there's any wind, and it's just still in the desert. It's really, really beautiful. It's like that in the uh, offices here in Jack London Square. It's like me and three people that are still in the office at 5.50 p.m. When I walked out there earlier, there was like, I don't know, six. Everyone's gone. Oh, it's a ghost town. They're, they're, it's Friday. It's, yeah, come on. It's Friday. Uh, Matt Chapman, third baseman of the Oakland Athletics. The hits just keep rolling. Will join us coming up here at 6 o'clock. The second base competition is interesting. I know David gave out a lot of names that you got to think. With both Barreto and Mateo out of options, these are going to be very tough. A machine, Rule Five guy is going to have to be offered back. I mean, this is this is really really tough, and this may be where you're going to get your. 26th man. Somebody that can play a lot of different positions because that is so key right now for the A's. Every, you know, David feels very comfortable. David feels like, you know, because sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're talking to a GM and you can tell he's worried about something, David just feels very, very relaxed. He's in flip-flops. He's in shorts. He knows he has a good team. It was a beautiful day today when we were doing the interview. But I think if there's anything that's worrying him and Melvin, it's the bullpen. How are they going to get this thing to Liam Hendricks? And is Liam Hendricks going to be the same guy as he was last year? 31 blown saves. 27 one-run wins, most in baseball. The 31 blown saves, most in baseball. Pretty sure everything else is taken care of. Long as, you know, knock on wood health, especially with the starters. I don't know what we're going to get out of Lazardo and Puck this year. Just don't know. It's still until they can take the ball every fifth day, they are an unknown. But you have enough depth around them to survive this. The only question mark, and I think David knows, it's a bullpen, and you just year to year. Lights out in 2018. Blake Trina was absolutely historic. And then not lights out, and I'm close in 2019. And when the bullpen got off to the early struggles, we all thought, oh, it's going to right itself. Well, it didn't. How are they going to get the ball to Liam Hendricks? That will be the number one question. The confidence, though, of this ball club, it, 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 was, it, was, it, was, it was nice to see the confidence in the Dodger ball club. And why wouldn't they? They've won their division seven straight years. They've played in two World Series, got bounced last year by the world champs. But, like, like, they don't even – you don't even hear the word division with them. All they're talking about winning the World Series, being the best team out of 30. That's all they're focused on. And that's the mark of – that's how you win championships. You got to believe. You have to believe. And that's where the A's are, too. 
they believe this is their time. And with the injuries in New York and the chaos with Houston and and Boston tra- trading away their best player, Boston had trading away a pitcher that at least could give you give you some innings and win some games for you. Chris Sale's elbow. I'm not going to be shocked if we're hearing about him in April, finally saying, you know what, I, I got to bite the bullet and do Tommy John surgery. There's not a lot of team unless there's a mystery team out there, there's not a lot of teams that can win the American League. The Twins are going to try and outslug you. The A's are going to be good. Could this be their time? And the thing about it, too, is if the issue is with the bullpen and the A's are having a good season, that at times is the easiest thing to acquire at the deadline or before the deadline. Because there will be bad teams. There's a lot of bad teams. There's going to be bad teams that have some good relievers who can help you out. You know, just because you, just, just you're on the Tigers or the Royals or, yeah, name a bad team, doesn't mean you don't have one or two good relievers that you could pick up and put on your team. Now, we talk about how tough it is to diagnose a bullpen every single year. Is it going to be a good diagnosis or a bad diagnosis? You don't know. If anything, these last two years, they've taught us relying on bullpens. Unless you have, like when you've got Mariano Rivera, you just got to, you got to find a way to get the ball to him. And that's going to be automatic year in and year out. But the A's don't have Mariano Rivera. They don't have Trevor Hoffman. They don't have Dennis Eckersley. They don't have Raleigh Fingers. Maybe Liam can turn into that guy. Hoping that Liam can show the consistency that Blake Trinan couldn't show. What kind of bad, what kind of what kind of good relievers, Cody, does the Pittsburgh Pirates have knowing that they are going to be a disaster? Uh, they got Kyle <clears throat> excuse me. They got Kyle Crick who they acquired from the Giants in the Andrew yeah, McCutcheon trade. Farmhand. They got uh, Keone Kelly, who's going to be their closer, but he's a head case. Um, trying to think who else they have. They have Michael Feliz coming back from injury. They have Richard Rodriguez. Uh, a lot of their uh, their guys are mainly more starting pitching that they have. A lot, they, they'll get some interest in. They don't. Their bullpen is not as good as it used to be when they had Melanson and Joel Hanrahan and, and Jason Grilly. Back in the heyday when the Pirates were actually good. Really, I, I think I called his first game with the San Jose Giants, former number one pick. <laughs> he actually resurrected his career. He he was with great. The he was great for them. He was a great closer. He, he he closed out the Walker game when when the Walker game returned to Pittsburgh and they beat the Reds. He was the guy that closed it out. He had a great. He he, had a, he was a great, a great story. I'm looking through their their bullpen right now. Just some guys. I mentioned Kelly, uh, Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez, Michael Feliz, Edgar Santana, Nick Birdie, who throws like 100, uh, Robbie Erlin, the former Padre. You got uh, uh, Derek Holland. You know, you, if you want him, you can have him. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, Chris Stratton, the former Giant. You got um, Garrett, um, Garrett Hartlob. He's okay. Tom Kohler, the former Marlin. Clay Holmes. And then a bunch of guys I never heard of before. 
So that's who they're looking at. But their starting pitching is are the guys they're going to look at because you're going to what's going to happen with Chris Archer and those things. But the the reliever that everyone's coveting for a bad team is going to be Michael Givens from the from the Orioles. I believe he's their closer, but if he's not, he's their setup guy. But I think he closes. He's the guy that everyone's going to want because he's been really consistent the last few years. And the Orioles, for some reason, have not traded him nor Trey Mancini yet. Our guy, and Chris Davis could have. I don't think I don't think Trey Mancini's going anywhere. I hope he doesn't. I think they're going to build. They're going to build. They like he's he's not expensive. They're going to kind of build around him. He he's had a nice run there with them. He's hit, he hits a lot of home runs. He plays good defense, and they got some guys coming up. And Adley Rushman, the, the catcher from Oregon State, that they're hoping could be their future. But they need a lot because they're still rebuilding under Mike Elias, no relation, and the former Astros assistant GM. But I think Givens is the guy that teams are going to covet at the deadline. And I'm trying to think if the Marlins really have anyone or the the Tigers. Uh, they really they really don't yet. Shane Green was the guy last year for the Tigers, and he got traded to the Braves. And he was actually Can I really... give you a name? Sure. Kirby Yates. He's good. But are uh-huh. the are the Padres gonna are the Padres gonna trade him? That's the question. They were talking about it last year, and if and if let's say, uh, did you read the thing on Machado? Uh, I did not. It was not. so laughable. It, it was so laughable. Is it the thing Rosenthal wrote? I don't I, know what the headline was. Basically, he said first year, guy signs a ten-year, three hundred million dollar contract, and he's apologizing for basically stop working, kind of quit, of course. didn't work hard, and I guess this three manager, whatever the heck they're calling Triumvirt. San Diego. Triumvirt. <laughs> they're like a hard nose. They're working these guys hard. And Machado knows that his first year he kind of gave up and stopped working. I'm like, that is why who – no, nobody want. I, I can't say that. Let me retract that. This is why people didn't want to give him bad money because he's just not a good guy. If you're telling me in your prime, your first year of a 10-year, $300 million contract, you, 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 you lollygagged? There, there were a lot of guys that did not like Andy Green, their manager, last year. And they moved on. They hired our – we can't even say he's our guy because we don't even know who he is in Jace Tingler. And then they got their other manager, Skip Schumacher, and then their bench coach who's also like a manager, and Bobby, I think it's Dickinson. Um, yeah, there that whole idea, but Machado saying how he that that doesn't surprise me one bit. Remember how he didn't hustle for the Dodgers? The the Dodgers went out and got you to help them, and then you don't hustle down the line. There's a reason why they didn't bring you back. There's a reason why you didn't sign till February. Yeah, the money plays a part, but you're just you're not from everything we've ever heard about him. He's just not a good guy. By the way, that, you're, that, that, that's the thing. You know what that that why I would take Bryce Harper over Manny Machado any day of the week. Okay, Bryce Harper may be tough to deal with. Maybe he's intense, but I want intense. Bryce Harper's going out there to be the best player he can possibly be. Josh Donaldson was intense. He's going out there to be the best player. Manny Machado admitted that he stopped working and that now he's working hard. And I'm like, you signed a deal like that to be the face of the franchise, to be the guy. 
You're the leader. You're the guy. And, you, and you're saying, yeah, I kind of gave up on a lot last year. It's a joke you're because – because you're getting outplayed by a shortstop that's 21 years old and Fernando Tatis Jr., and you don't like it. Like, tough, man. Like, you signed for $300 million. A Padres expected – I mean, he put up decent numbers, but, again, we always joke everyone hit home runs last year, so the 30 home runs don't matter. I mean, it matters, but if that's what you signed him for, for $300 million, that, you know, they hit under 300 and hit 30 home runs, great. But if you want to win, I don't I don't know if that's the guy you want to build your franchise around. Now, Tatis Jr., from what we saw from him last year, that's the guy you build your franchise around, in my opinion. He's electric. He's good. He plays offense and defense. He seems like a good clubhouse guy. People love him in the media. There's nothing bad you can say about him. I know he's only 21 and he played half a year, but that they they ha- they need guys. Like, Hosmer is a, is a leader. He won a World Series. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking at their team right now. Uh, Jerks and Profar. Um, can't say he was a friend of the program. We never had him on. Uh, he's slated to be their starting second baseman over Brian Dozier, World Series champion. They got Tommy Pham, good clubhouse guy. They have a lot of people that they can take that leadership role, and Machado's just going to be a guy look, they're looking at like, uh, could it, do you think they're going right now? Like, we have nine years left of this. Oh. Let's call, the, let's call up our insider. My brother? <laughs> let's get his thoughts. I mean, I, I read those comments. And I was just like, this is why you don't sign this guy to a $300 million contract. That's just, it's bad. By the way, another news, strange news in baseball, is we'll be getting to Matt Chapman here in moments. The Los Angeles Times reported that the Angels have fired their visiting clubhouse manager, after an internal investigation revealed that he was providing ball doctoring substances to opposing pitchers. The clubhouse manager, Brian Harkins, had been at his post since 1990 after starting out with the club as a bat boy in the early 1980s. The team confirmed he had been fired but did not elaborate on the reason citing legal restrictions preventing them from discussing employee matters. What was he giving him? Bullfrog? He was giving him pine tar? Well, remember, Bauer thinks that 70% of, he told Real Sports, he thinks that 70% of um, pitchers use some sort of substance, pine tar, firm grip, or homemade concoction. It always makes you think of that scene from... uh, do you remember made the movie Major League where Eddie Harris, opening day starter, has like the Vagisil and all that stuff all over him? The, you put snot uh, on yeah. the ball. <laughs> it got Gaylord Perry into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Ask Ray Fossey about catching Gaylord Perry and throwing the ball back to him with the Vaseline on it. By the way, you were met, you were, we were talking about relievers. I wanted to bring this up to you. Uh, remember Hunter Strickland, the former Giant and Mariner, now National. Mark Zuckerman, who covers the Nationals, put out a tweet. He's been with the team for 26 innings. That's including the regular season, postseason, and spring training. He's already given up 10 home runs. Oh, my God. <laughs> How do you give up that many home runs? All right, you know what? I, I, I have a theory that bothers me about this thing about pitchers and substances. And it may be different than what you think. But before we do that, I was able to catch up with Matt Chapman. He's got the two platinum gloves. He's got the two gold gloves. 
He's an all-star. He's a star. Here is my conversation with Matt Chapman. So how's spring going for you already? Pretty good. Uh, it's good to kind of get the body adjusted to playing every day or at least doing something every day and getting back into that shape. It's hard to recreate that in the offseason, like being in cleats and playing for so long. So you're still kind of working out that little everyday soreness, but you know that's what spring's for. And it's good to see a lot of the guys. And I think uh, a lot of guys made some improvements this offseason. And as a you know collective group, we look really good. I got to tell you, yesterday, one of the number one thing that I noticed is you got two teams out there that are talking about one thing. And it's about winning the World Series. So I'm over there interviewing Dave Roberts. I did their president, Stan Caston. I know how you feel. This is, this is going to be an interesting year because this is just not about trying to make the playoffs. It's about getting in the playoffs and making a run. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we've, we've had the last few seasons to try to get to the playoffs, and I think we've had enough of that. Um, you know, obviously the World Series is the end goal, but the first goal is to win the American League West and, you know, control our own destiny from there. Yeah, and I think about what what you guys have been able to accomplish as a group. Just talk about how your core is set, everybody's back, and you guys are ready to make that move. It's nice to have everybody back, and returning to spring training has been something that hasn't been a trend always in Oakland. Um, but to be able to to come in and have so many guys returning that we're comfortable playing with, that we believe in, we, we get along well, um, you know, we know how to have each other's back. We know, you know, when guys are feeling good, when they're not, when to. So, like, just all the little things that you might not know from just playing one season with somebody. Now that we've had two or three seasons together and we're confident playing together, we know how to work with each other. And I think it's only going to give us a better chance for success. You know what I like about interviewing all you guys is that you guys really want to talk about each other and not about yourselves individually. Yeah, that just kind of goes to show the the kind of team we have and why we were able to win 97 games when nobody believed in us and why we were able to win 97 games again when nobody believed in us and why we're going to win 100-plus games this year when nobody still believes in us. (laughs) So it's not a new trend, but I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, we, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, bag on the A's for the stadium or for a lot of the things that we don't have that other teams have. And I think it only brings us closer together. You know, we don't worry about that stuff too much. We just worry about being with each other and uh, just trying to win baseball games every single day. And we have a lot of selfless guys, you know, like Chad Pender, for instance, a guy that could probably play every single day on a lot of teams in the major leagues, almost every team in the major leagues. But he doesn't get to play every day on our team, and he's he's in that utility role. And, you know, he swallows his pride, and he does what he has to do every day to help the team because he puts the team first. And I think a lot of guys on our team do that. It's, uh, it's why guys on our team work so hard even when they don't want to maybe because everybody else is doing it and we uh, we just push each other forward. I love chips on the shoulder. I love the toughness that you guys have and you individually winning back-to-back platinum gold gloves. When you head into the offseason and you think about that, it's, it's pretty spectacular. What was that like this offseason when you know you got not one but two platinum gold gloves? I, it's something I could have never dreamed of. You know, I, I always wanted to win a gold glove but to do it two times in a row and Two times to win that platinum glove. You know, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's ever won a platinum glove in their first two seasons. So I don't. You could check, fact check me on that. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but it feels. I'm not sure if somebody's done it because it's such a new award. But yeah. to be able to be a first in something in the major leagues is uh, something that I'll be proud of forever. 
you changed your swing, I read, a little bit this offseason. What, what did you change? Uh, nothing too crazy, but after working with uh, some of my hitting coaches uh, back home and Bushy, um, just really wanted to fine-tune my swing, what is going to help me be the most efficient. Um, and that what for me was just, you know, getting in my legs just a tick more and at the same time moving my hands a little bit, you know, further away from my head. They always were in tight, so I, I put them back just a little bit. Nothing too crazy, nothing major. I still have the same feel. It just has allowed me now to to kind of just be a little mo- a little less movement. Before I had to have kind of a big movement to get ready, and now it's just a, a little more simple, and I can just kind of be more direct. And it's not like I have to create the power. I just have to be accurate with the barrel. It just seems like you're you're a lot more comfortable, especially going into this season. I mean, you've learned a lot. Yeah. You've had a lot of success, but you just personally just seem a lot more comfortable. Definitely more comfortable. The you know as years go by, I feel uh, you know you're always worried about getting to the big leagues, then you worry about staying in the big leagues, and then uh, last year I was so worried about doing it again. And now that I know what it takes to you know repeat a good season and. That takes some of the pressure off of it, and now it's just about going and winning. You know, it's not like I have to prove anything to anybody. It's just go out there and play my game, and, uh, you know, easier said than done. But, you know, that's the outlook I'm taking is, hey, I don't have to prove anything. I just got to keep doing what I've been doing and just try to help the team win games, and that's all I care about. Great stuff. Stay healthy, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Thanks for having me. He was really good today. Really good. I mean, he's just maturing in front of our eyes as a ball player, as a person. He's uh, he and Matt Olson, man. These guys, they're they're entering their prime, and they're going to do some special things. I, mean, I could see them both winning MVPs, right? Yes, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, Chapman was an MVP candidate for what most of the year last year. The Marcus came on strong and finished third, and. You know, Matt Olson missed, what, 30 or 29 games through the injury to his, his hand. Uh, he would have hit over 40 home runs, and Chapman had 36. Well, they both had 36, but I agree with you. They both could be MVPs. Oh, by the way, he said don't fact-check him. I, I'll do the fact-checking. Uh, only two other players ever won a uh, platinum, glo- uh, platinum glove in their first two years. It was Lindor and the guy we talked about earlier, Manny Machado. They did it in their second year where they won their first one. So Chapman is the only player to win two in his first two years. So we can tell him tomorrow, we fact-checked you. You're correct. You're correct, yes. <laughs> Everyone can't be a nice guy all the time. Someone's got to be the bad guy. I'll do it. I'll be the bad guy in this case. No, no, He, but he, we're saying he's right. He was. Because Lindor, Lindor made his Major League debut in 2015. He won the Platinum Glove in 2016. And then Manny Machado debuted in 2012. He won the Platinum Glove in 2013. So they both won it in their second year in the majors. Or Chapman did it the last two years. Chappie's right. Can't can't hey, you can't uh, you can't deny the guy. You can't deny the leader. There's no question. He's a leader. There is no question. He is an alpha male. He is the guy. Coming up next. This. I understand. I, I don't. I, I I know nothing about this Angels deal. I have no insight on it, but. Trevor Bauer and people talking about pitchers using substances. I want to address that next on my opinion on it right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. 
All righty, Steve Vucinich. Vuce. It's his 53rd year with the A's. 53 years he has worked for the A's. I, I, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. He's a legend. He's a historian. He's the equipment manager. He's the guy. You need something. If anybody needs anything, you go to Voos. I laughed with Voos before we taped it during the game. I go, have you ever even had a resume? He's worked for the A's for 53 years. He goes, Townie, how old are you? I said, I'm about to be 48. He's worked for the A's longer than I've been alive. Just think about that for a second. The legend. Steve Vucinich will join us here at 6.30. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, Cody, but this is my opinion. I don't understand why pitchers can't use a substance that gives them better grip on a ball that you are making slicker. The baseballs are like a cue ball now. And all this does is give them a better grip, especially when it's cold. Why can't they use pine tar? Well, you can't put a foreign substance on the ball. Well, then why can they do it on bats? Why do hitters get to use gloves, pine tar, stick spray? They get to use all this stuff on their equipment. Why can't the pitchers? It's hypocritical. It drives me nuts. If you can't put anything on the ball, why can they put stuff on the bat? Then they shouldn't be able to put stuff on the bat. And there's quite a few hitters that will tell you, hey, listen, if it's cold out and this guy's out there throwing 98 miles an hour, I don't care what he's putting on his fingers as long as he knows where the ball's going. Because you don't have the same grip with your, with your, with you, when your skin gets cold and they're playing in the, folks, we're opening up the season in March 26th. East Coast. Upper East Coast, it's no day at the beach in Minnesota on March 26th. Chicago's freezing cold. New York, Boston. I mean, how about San Francisco in July? It's freezing. I I, I don't get why pitchers – now, you tell me, Cody – is Bauer saying they shouldn't be able to have? It didn't say like I didn't see the act like the whole thing he did. It was just a part of an article, and it said that he just believes about seventy percent of pitchers in baseball. When he talked to Real Sports, saying that seventy percent of them use a for you know use a substance on the ball. What bullfrog? It's sunscreen. It makes it a little tacky. Well, you know what the answer is? The, the answer is simple. And I don't know if they've ever fallen through with this. Since they have no problem changing the baseball, which has become very obvious, make a stickier baseball. They've talked about creating a baseball that 
four pitchers that'll make it, you know, so it's not so slick. They're, they make these baseballs so slick that the umpires use the Mississippi mud and, and wipe them down. The, the equipment you make is slick. <laughs> the, the, the umpires, they put the mud. They put a, umpires put a foreign, foreign substance on balls. Does this make sense, Cody? No, it does. It's just sorry. I'm trying to find if what Bauer, if what he's saying about the cheating. I'm trying to. I'm reading through the the article. But, 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 but I don't. I, but what I don't get is why do the hitters get to use it? Well, the, well, why do hitters use pine tar? Well, it gives them a better grip. Well, why do you get a better grip and I don't get a better grip? The only. The only. I'm trying to going to try to think of this logically. Maybe because they feel like the pine tar helps with uh, with a baseball. It helps with manipulating the ball with spin rate and all that stuff. Where the pine tar at the bat just helps your grip holding the bat. Where you can do multiple things with the ball. You want to go to the diff- definition of manipulate, both of those are there under the definition. You yeah. are changing the equipment for your advantage. Agreed. How about, how, how about when hitters shave the handle? So the bat's lighter, but the barrel is still big. How about when they do that? Is that altering your equipment? hundred uh, percent, changing it. Now the the reason why the thing with Bauer is he brought this up because this ties back to that whole. Remember when he was saying how the Astros were doing something with the the baseballs back in what was that twenty seventeen, accusing because he he was mainly saying how Garrett Cole can't go from being a guy in Pittsburgh who had a pretty nice career to getting a bunch of more uh, more spin on his ball from the spin rate. They're doing something different down there. So he was like alluding to years ago that Houston was potentially cheating with their pitchers back then. And then he brings it up again when he talked to Rural Sports and Brian Gumble saying how he thinks 70% of pitchers in the league use a foreign substance. Yeah, and once again, uh, remember the Michael Pineda? Yeah, with the Yankees. Remember when he was with the Yankees and he had that big glob of pine tar? And was Aaron Boone still the was, – was it Girardi? It was, Gir- it, been, it was Girardi. And Girardi didn't want to. Girardi didn't want to make a big deal out of it because he knows his. He he, he 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 everybody's doing it. No, what I'm really thinking of though is Yankees were playing somebody. Yes, Network was focusing on the opposing pitcher, saying he's got something. And Aaron Boone, they were saying, "Hey, we can show the." Vi-. And Aaron Boone really didn't want any part of it because they all know everybody's pitchers are doing it because the baseballs they make. Are, are are they've changed if you if you if you don't know what I'm talking about buy a a major league baseball this season and start 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 fooling with it and you'll realize there's no seams anymore there's basically no seams I mean they're there but they they're not like they used to be that's why there's no drag on the ball that's why the balls are going so far They've made they basically made these baseballs golf balls. And it's and pitchers will tell you if they can use some type of sticky spray or pine tar, it it, it gives them a better grip. And that's why, once again, some hitters have said, I don't care if they're using it. If they're gonna throw that hard, I want them to know where it's going. By the way, the pitcher I, was uh Yusei Kikuchi of the Mariners with the Yankees and, and Aaron Boone. I just, I mean, you can use it, but we can't. 
I mean, a better a better grip is a how much is there even proof? Like has drive line proved how much more spin rate you're going to get if you, if you have a foreign substance? No, I don't. Not that I've seen. But I, I just the one thing that comes to me. You mentioned I'll, you talked about pitchers. Uh, remember 1983 with George Brett. Remember how mad he was with the pine tar in the bat. One of the greatest incidents. <laughs> one of the greatest. George Brett lost his mind. And remember, they had the Royals had to fly back because there was the protest, and the Royals won. Royals had to fly back and finish that game. And so the plane lands in New York. They get on the bus to go to Yankee Stadium. You know where George Brett was? Kansas he City? stayed on the plane. Oh. That was a very heated, controversial death threats. I remember Je- George Brett owned the Yankees. I mean, it took a while for the Royals to finally get over on the Yankees, but he hit so – George Brett hit so many big home runs against the Yankees, it was unbelievable. But yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like guys are guys are altering their bats. They're they're using sticky spray. They're using pine tar. I mean, if they're using it, pitchers should be able to use it. That's how I feel. I don't disagree with you. I don't ha- really have a stance on this because, I, you know, I was a I I wasn't a pitcher. I was a hitter when I played high school baseball. So I never and I never used um, any substances for the bat because we used metal bats in high school, so it didn't really matter. Um, Juice bats. Yeah, I, I can see where you know this is an art. You know, a lot of people don't like this. Where they, you know, they can fall either way on the sword. Where they they don't like it, they like it. I, I just if one if my thing is if one per, if pitchers are going to use it, then let hitters use it. If hitters are going to use it, let pitchers use it. Don't don't just create an unfair advantage for one one side. Make it equal equal for both. Now, see the the the, the, the sticky part is you know the old Vaseline. Where now you got a spitter. <laughs> you know, now you're now you got Gaylord Perry moving it around. That's kind of a different thing for me. This is just this is trying. You're not, you know, when you're using Vaseline, you're making that ball move all over the place. This is for grip, and especially when it's cold. But you can't tell me for hitters if pine tar on the bat is not advantage, then why do they do it? I think it, it just it. I really don't have. I wish I had the explanation for that. I I, I mean, if it's not an advantage, why do they use it? Yeah, I think it's more for me. I think it's an advantage because it helps you grip the bat better. That's if I'm if I'm thinking of it from a hitter's perspective, it helps you with gripping the bat. And I could see if it was something like Sammy Sosa where he was corking the bat. That's a big. It's yeah, a little. That's a little different. Legal. But with pine tar, I mean, if if you're not if you're gonna let hitters use, then let let, let pitchers use uh, snot or you know, uh, and you know, a, a foreign substance because if guys are already doing it and you're getting more velocity and you're increasing your spin rate, um, we're we're seeing what happen all the time. Where you know we're valuing how much value we're putting to spin rate anymore. It's incredible, but you're seeing a lot of these guys. Like the best example is Ryan Presley, the former Twins reliever who's now with the Astros. The Astros wanted him so much because they knew he they could increase his spin rate, and it makes you always wonder like how how can you increase spin rate on for someone, but you know, Bauer speculated. I, I'm not going to speculate that, but I'm sure some kind of a substance or something is helping with a lot of these guys. With their, with the, especially when you see a spin rate go that high for a guy that was a mediocre, you know, a, a semi mediocre reliever, 
and he turned into one being one of the best in baseball like Presley has become. Again, I just think it needs to be fair for both sides. I don't because then you have all the the everyone complaining that it's unfair for hitters or unfair for pitchers. Where you know it's unfair for pitchers now because the baseball is different and these guys are everyone's hitting thirty home runs or you know the the ball is different and the guys can't catch up to it. It's just it, that's what it was for the the argument was for a while. You know, guys are getting so much stronger and so much bigger and fat, and their arms are getting stronger. They're throwing so much faster, and guys can't catch up anymore. On the you know, up in the zone. Well, you know, you got to adapt. And I'm not saying you know pine tar the bat and put cork in it, but I'm just saying like they found ways around it. Now it's with the baseball, but just make it fair for both sides because then you don't. Ha- baseball already has enough problems to worry about right now, and this doesn't need to be you know something that that's going on more and more. But with the Angels, the funny thing is I, I, I made a joke of it, and I sent it to some people. I said, so this is why Mike Trout never wins, because they're the guy in the clubhouse is helping the other team win because they don't want Mike Trout to win. I was like, this, so this is the explanation why the Angels are always so bad, apparently. Well, earlier today, I caught up with a man who's known as the A's historian. He's been with this team since 1968. 53 years with the Oakland Athletics, a true treasure, one of the great A's of all time. Equipment manager, Steve Vucinich. Truly one of the great A's runs as an employee in the history of the organization, whether you're talking Philadelphia, Kansas City, or Oakland. This is your 53rd year with the Oakland A's. You've been here since day one. It's amazing. It's been a fun run. I never would have thought it was going to last this long when I was hired as a 15-year-old bat boy way back in 68, the first year in Oakland. I've been here ever since, seen it all. (laughs) As they say, you know where the bodies are buried. (laughs) Absolutely. you got to have a little something in your back uh, to protect yourself. But uh, in all seriousness, it's been fun. I wouldn't be doing it if the bad outweighed the good. It doesn't. It's not close to it yet. Uh, like I said, I've seen it all. I've been through ownership change, managerial changes, lots of coaches, lots of players. And uh, even along the way, I've had two wives. So it's been fun. Yeah, I was actually hanging with the uh, Vucinich clan. Got to meet brothers, sisters, hanging out with your, your wife, your daughter. It was a lot of fun in Las Vegas. It, it was. I'm glad everybody had fun while I was working my butt off. But uh, that's that can be expected. As everybody comes down. And will, well, Vegas is a different venue to watch baseball. And it's obviously an exciting town, and I'm glad they got to enjoy it because I was at the ballpark all day and all night. Yeah, people don't realize, as we're down here in the clubhouse, and the amount of equipment that you have to deal with, you have to travel with, you have to organize it. you got to get it on the plane, get it off the plane, get it into the clubhouse. Obviously, this is something that's not easy to do, but since you've been doing it a long time, I'm sure it's like clockwork, but a lot of people don't understand how tough your job is. Well, there is a lot of equipment. I mean, given that uh, Nike might make eight different underlayer shirts, whether it be thick, thin, short sleeve, three-quarter sleeve, mock turtle, full turtle, uh, you've got to have all those ready for the players should they want them. And obviously you don't take the warmer gear to the Midwest in the middle of the summer. So you're trading out. I mean, you've got two different hats that you have to take with you. We take two different jerseys on the road. At home we, ha- we have two more. Uh, there are a lot of pieces that go into the complete uh, uniform ensemble. Then you've got bats, you've got balls. We have two different cover, uh, two different color helmets. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. And uh, at the Coliseum, there's not a lot of room for storage. 
But uh, down here in Mesa, as you look around this storeroom, you see it all, and it's nice to have it all in one location instead of having to run up by the left field foul pole to get a new helmet like we have to at Coliseum. Remember the good old days where you just had a white jersey and a gray jersey? It was a lot easier then. It was, and there were fewer bat models, bat manufacturers, um, and you only had one color helmet and one color sock, and you had sanitaries and you had stirrups. As now you've got three different kind of a, a workout socks, a high performance socks. So, you know, innovation has come along with baseball, not just in the numbers and the data available to front offices, but also to equipment managers. Yeah, no doubt about it. And when I think about all the the days we have, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Breast Cancer Awareness Day, Fourth of July. I mean, there's a lot of different uniforms you're having to deal with. It is. Uh, last year was the first year that didn't uh, do the Mother's Day and Father's Day uniforms. Still did Memorial Day or Armed Forces Weekend, and we did the Fourth of July. Uh, then we also do um, uh, Spanish Heritage and in. Uh, September where our club individually does Los Atleticos um, and uh, so they're different jerseys uh, some jerseys hardly ever get worn you have to have two for every player and they might get partial to one and know which one it is hanging in their lockers or where and in the season I could end up with an easy 100 jerseys and they weren't even worn one time. So each year and I've experienced this with the Raiders there's a new style that comes out with stuff you know Nike's always making new stuff what do you do with all the old stuff that's not going to be worn? Well, if it's stuff that maybe the logos are different, colors could have changed a little bit or just even been tweaked, that stuff all goes either to our authentication department where it's available for sale to uh, the general public, whether it be online or at the stadium. Uh, then some of us goes to uh, the community fund department, and they'll have auctions and donations to different charities and fundraisers. So uh, if anything can be used or held back as spare stuff from the year before. But with the evolution of Nike taking over uniforms, uh, this is the first year we'll have the swoosh on the front of the jersey and uh, the swoosh on the back of the pant. And uh, so those are all new this year. Uh, next year they're talking about changing the material, so that'll be another complete change in jerseys and pants. They're gonna, uh, Nike's is very innovative. They they try to do the best for performance. They did that in football. They do that in basketball. They're doing it in baseball, a more comfortable thing, a more um, uh, wearable piece, whether it be pants or jersey. Um, a lot of them have the wicking, so they're breathing. Those sweat will come out to the surface and not stay on the body where a shirt can get heavier. So uh, they're pretty uh, uh, up there as far as trying to make the best possible piece. And in a, in a sense, when they keep changing the pieces, it means I have to buy a lot more every year. Is there anything that surprises you anymore in your job? <laughs> Not really. Uh, anything could happen. I mean, you got coaches that come in during the middle of the game requesting things. Um, so you've got... Uh, 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 different requests from the players. Sometimes we've said we were, we're a concierge, we're a short order cook, we're counselors, that type of thing. And, you know, one of the things that I tell rookies that come up, I say, look, you can come to me. You're afraid to ask a veteran. is Maybe a, you think it'd be a dumb question, but you've got a legitimate concern. You can come talk to me, and it'd be between you and I, and nobody has to know that you asked this question and I gave you the answer. So uh, we get some funny, funny questions along the way. Uh, but uh, and funny requests from certain even veteran players. So nothing surprises me at all. 
you have seen it all, even a radio guy looking for coffee uh, <laughs> before the broadcast as you helped me out with that. And I've uh, it's, it's amazing. There's no coffee in, in the press box. The only place there's coffee is down here. It's 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 unbelievable. But but there was no game here that day. So why would there be coffee? That is actually a good point. We were the only people here that <laughs> they were playing over against the White Sox. Um, when when you think about your job and your relationship with the players, as you said, player can come to you. It's between you and him. And that's kind of one of the things that's made you so great in your career is the fact that players love you. And old players that come in, I see how they interact with you. It's like there, there's been a big bond and trust between you and all these different players. There has been. I mean, I've known every player that's played in Oakland ever. And, uh, I mean, just like today, Blue Moon Odom and Bird Camp and Harris are here signing autographs outside for the Fergie Jenkins Foundation. Vita Blues out there. They always come by to say hello. We relish those, uh, those friendships that last for years and years, and I hear from them, different players, time to time. Unfortunately, now I'm starting to hear more about funerals and players, former players passing. But uh, uh, there are special relationships with the players. 99% of them are always great relationships. Uh, never have a problem with anybody. It's uh, I've always been honest with them. I've always been willing and open to changes. And you know, as I get older, and I'm a lot older, and a lot of these players could be my uh, my kids. And uh, they're that age, and I don't want them to look at me as a father figure. I like looking at me as a as a person that could give, provide answers, guidance, and help them along the way. So the teams in the 70s, teams in the 80s, and like looking at the the teams today, the players. How much has the player changed from like the 70s till today? Well, first of all, I think baseball's accepted more conditioning players are in better shape than they ever were and one of the reasons is they make enough money so they don't have to get off-season jobs i remember in 71 we had just won a division raleigh fingers had three plus years and i helped him get a job as a sporting good stock boy at jc pennies in fremont california and that's true uh minimum salary then might have been seven eight thousand dollars they probably got a five thousand dollar bonus for losing to baltimore in the playoffs but he needed to work during the winter sal bando used to work for visa uh, other players used to work for banks. They, they take on different roles. So that's changed a lot now. They don't have to work during the winter. I mean, you get six months or a half season in the big leagues and you've made $275,000. You better be able to sustain during the winter with that kind of savings. But uh, that's changed. Uh, the players on the field, I think the talent is better, uh, but it's more spread out. So there are more weaker links with each club. But uh, then there was in the 60s, we only had 20 big league clubs, and now we've got 30. So we've expanded by 50% over the last 50 years. Um, you know, there are still good guys. The game is the same. That's why I love being involved. I love watching a game as much as I can. There's nothing better for me to watch nine innings on TV if I'm not traveling with the club or going out to the stands, watching a few innings in spring training, enjoying the sun. Uh, the, the players... The, game, the only way the game has changed, I think, is it's more refined because of the statistics. Yeah, data has really changed, obviously, in baseball, and we've watched it evolve, and the A's have been a big part uh, of changing that, of course, with Moneyball. And, and I know, you know, if you talk to somebody who's known Billy Bean for a long time, it's you. Well, I had him as a visiting player with both the Detroit Tigers and Minnesota Twins. And so I, 
it's funny. I was in a visiting clubhouse at the time, and we became a, began a friendship, never believing it would evolve to me actually working for him and reporting directly to him. So it just shows you how things can change, how uh, a struggling player from the minor leagues, number one draft choice, Billy Bean, finally makes it to big leagues but doesn't play every day. And he has been able to refocus and became an advanced scout and then all the way up to uh, president or vice president of baseball operations. So it's been a good run for him. It's been fun knowing him and watching him. And uh, he deserves the accolades because he took on some chances as far as statistics and things. And now, look, at he was a leader in that. He and Sandy Alderson, when they worked together, now every club's using those kind of stats. I think about the 80s team, the late 80s. And I was in high school. And they were stars. Like, everybody wanted to play like them. And now that we're honoring teams, and we've done a real good job since Dave Cavill took over of honoring teams. And you talk to those guys. They were rock stars. They were absolute. They were the most popular team in baseball. You know, they used to go in and hammer the New York Yankees. The Yankees were terrible. They were the team. What was what was the late 80s like? Because they had a they, 70s had characters. These guys had a bunch of characters. Well, the, the 80s were great. Those clubs we had for those three years, we went to, went to the World Series. We were like a traveling rock show. We had to go in through freight elevators. We had to avoid hotel lobbies when we came in in mass, whether we were checking in the hotel or coming back after a game, day game or night game. But the players, we had some great individual players and teams in the 80s. I mean, with Dave Barker and obviously Conseco and McGuire. McGuire being the quiet one. Conseco was always trying to be funny. And Dave Barker would just hammer him with jokes and cut him down. And Jose would be like a little dog, weeping down into the corner and stuff. Uh, but you had veteran leadership. You had Carney Lansford. You had Terry Steinbeck. Um, Dave Henderson. Tony Phillips. I mean, that 89 team was one of the best ever. And what was it like reacquiring Ricky Henderson from the Yankees? Which, oh, um, it was a great trade. I mean, that was what solidified us in 89. We got Ricky. We didn't give up too much. Um, he was a star, and he came back to Oakland. He was just he was what put us over the top. It really was. I mean, we had a great club. Lost the World Series a year before. Would have gone to the World Series again in 89, but... And in his playoff performance against Toronto in 89 and in the World Series uh, that same year was outstanding. Uh, and he basically led us. I mean, then the next year, he's the most valuable player in American League. And I think about the team that we're dealing with today. This is a really close-knit group. You know, a lot of them grew together in the minor leagues. They care a lot about each other. You know, Marcus Simeon was already here, but he's such a great success story, and and he's a leader. Just talk about what just these guys are like inside the clubhouse, this team right now. I liken this club very closely to the team of the 70s where all those guys were signed by Charlie Finley, whether they were drafted or even before the draft, and they all played together in the minor leagues. They're like brothers. Of course, they were talking about them fighting, but they're fighting like brothers. If something happened 20 minutes later, it was forgotten, and you're playing with your brother. In the 80s, all those guys came up in the minor leagues together, Steinbeck, Conseco, McGuire. We had veteran Dave Stewart and Dave Henderson. Um, and so it was the same thing. It was an evolution of all guys in the minor leagues. Now we come to this group here with Chapman and Olsen. Those guys have played together in the minor leagues. They're drafted, played together all, along the, way, all the way up. It's the same kind of thing, and hopefully we get the same results. You know, you've mentioned Char- Charlie Finley, and really one of the craziest thing, and it will never happen again. A guy owns a baseball team, and he's running it from Chicago, and the teams in Kansas City and then Oakland. 
That's crazy. Well, you know what? His business was in Chicago, and he, uh, uh, although at one time he said he was going to move his business to Oakland, it wasn't practical, so he didn't do that. But, uh, yeah, and this is the days before cellular phones. He had to use landlines. Phone calls were a lot more expensive than they are now, but he didn't care. He would call and sometimes listen to the whole game on a radio. Somebody put the radio right next to the, to the telephone, and he listened to the whole game. He, that's the only way he could listen then. He couldn't watch. There weren't that many games on TV, and he ran it. He had a, his own little tiny support staff in Oakland that answered to him, let him know everything that was going on, sometimes too much. But uh, uh, it, it was crazy working for him. He'd call you up and uh, spend $5 on a phone bill complaining about a $3 laundry bill, and that was Charlie. But he wanted to let you know who was boss, you're in charge, and his motto was, you save your pennies to spend your thousands, and I never forgot that. He also said one time, never pay a bill until you absolutely have to. I, mean, I can't live that route, but, but he always said that. This is why you're the A's historian. And this is why throughout the year we love having you on. And thank you for everything you, you do for me. I truly appreciate it. And everybody appreciates you and everything you do for this organization. And we'll catch up uh, back in Oakland. All right, Danny, it's always a pleasure. 53 years with the Oakland Athletics. The man is a legend. Let's get to buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. I actually uh, pulled the audio from something, but I didn't get a chance to play it. I actually pulled that scene from Major League uh, where he goes, "What's that? What's that expletive on your on your chest?" And he goes to that whole uh, explanation of what it is. But uh, we'll, we'll play that another time. Add your still. You can get another two to three inches drop on your curveball. <laughs> so Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer. He's a Braves legend. He's a 1999 NL MVP. He's an eight-time All-Star. He's an ESPN analyst, which you can catch him calling the Dodgers and Giants on opening day on ESPN. Well, in Florida at the Braves minor league park, Cool Today Park, he was just some, tr- some guy trying to get into the park. This following tweet is from Dave O'Brien, who covers the Braves for The Athletic. Chipper showed up today. Security guard stopped him and said he didn't have a credential. He said he smiled, said, no, but I'm one of the banners. The security guard asked his name. He said, I'm Chipper Jones. And the guy apologized profusely. Chipper laughed, told him, no problem. We've seen in Oakland when people, well, who was it, Eduardo Perez? They didn't know, the security guard didn't know who he was. So buying or selling... The security guard didn't know who Chipper Jones was. I'm buying her, so I, th- I thought it was already established he didn't know. Are you buying that he really didn't? Like, are you think? Do you think he really didn't know, or it was just like a joke? Oh no! I are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, we did go through this before. Oh, oh yeah. Just because they don't know who these people are. If you're not a baseball person, who's Chipper Jones? Yeah, this is just a job for these people. I swear to God, there was one, I don't remember what year it was. There was this one lady who every day, she'd see me every day and still ask for my pass. Because sometimes I don't have the pass on because it's in your bag or whatever. And I would just be like, really, you're not going to allow me up this elevator? And you see me every single day. Yeah. I don't know. This oh, was- yeah, yeah. Oh, I guarantee you. 
I guarantee you this person didn't know who Chipper Jones was. Okay, so today was a special day for the 2018 MVP Christian Yelich and the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, we know what his deal was, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but here's a speech from Christian Yelich, a quote from Christian Yelich. I just really enjoy playing in the city of Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin. The fan base embraced me from day one. For me, it's just a really special place to play. Our goal here is eventually bring a World Series to Milwaukee and to the Brewers organization. And we're going to have that opportunity over the next nine years. Buying or selling Christian Yelich will finish out his contract in Milwaukee. I'm buying. If Ryan Braun. Oh. Ryan Braun has a pretty big, was a big deal when he signed it. And went through all that and still stayed. I mean, really, you got to think about this. As time goes on and Mookie Betts signs for 300-something million, Cody Bellinger signs for 300-something million, and it just goes on and on and on, his deal looks like a steal. So I'm buying buying he finishes there. Uh, I think he will, too. I I think just because he likes it there so much. He was pretty broken up today talking about just how cool it was to be there and, you know, to thank everyone to help them get there and just how much he liked, you know, he loved playing in Milwaukee, which, you know, we're going to maybe see if uh, in another sport, if Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to stay playing for the Bucks. But that's a good sign for the city of Milwaukee. If your best baseball player is staying and Aaron Rodgers has stayed in Green Bay, I know it's not Milwaukee, but Aaron Rodgers has stayed in, in Green Bay for so long, it's good for uh, Bucks fans with Giannis as well. So the break think about where he came from. Miami. Yeah. yeah. Playing for the Marlins. What an awful experience that is. That's going to go down as one of the worst uh, trades in the history of baseball. The guys that the Marlins got back, none of them have done anything. The, the prize prospect they got back, Lewis Brinson, he got sent down to the minors last year. He can't hit over 200. So, looks like the uh, looks like David Stearns in the uh, Brewers fleeced the Marlins. Well, everyone fleeces the Marlins on on deals anymore. But uh, the Yelich one looks like it could be the worst out of all the guys they've traded over the years. The The Braves are a very talented team. They have a lot going for them with Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Mike Soroka, Freddie Freeman, who was great mic'd up yesterday, and Dansby Swanson. But they lost Josh Donaldson to the Twins. Donaldson hit 37 home runs last year for the team who finished 11th in the MVP voting. Enter Austin Riley. You love Austin Riley. We know that because you talked about him last year a lot. Remember his hot start to the year last year as a rookie? He finished with 18 home runs and 274 at-bats. I couldn't remember what the exact one was, but he had like 10 home runs and like 30 at-bats. It was ridiculous. Now, Riley's launching massive home runs once again this spring, reminding Braves fans of the torrid start to his major league career. The only issue is that he struck out 108 times last year with a 42% strikeout rate over the season's final three months. But this spring, he's only struck out three times in 19 plate appearances entering Wednesday. So, buying or selling Austin Riley will make Braves fans forget Josh Donaldson. You can never forget Josh Donaldson. I'm selling. (laughs) Once you've had Donaldson on your team, you'll love him forever. So, we've seen a lot of great athletes and coaches come from the Bay Area. Barry Bonds, Tom Brady, Ricky Henderson, Dave Stewart, the great Bill Walsh. But enter Joseph Chestnut. Joseph Chestnut ate Two, eight, 32 Big Macs in 38 minutes recently. That's 15.36 pounds of food and 18,016 calories. He is also the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Champion. 
No, I'm just going to make it easy for you. Buying or selling Joey Chestnut is the greatest champion ever from the Bay Area. Oh, there's no question. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he is a treasure. He is a Bay Area, San Jose State graduate treasure. Where would our lives be without having the greatest competitive eater be from the Bay Area, specifically San Jose, California? And he took down Kobayashi. No one could do that. Enter Joseph Chestnut. And, and, and you know why he did it? Uh, no. He did it for America. That's oh, there you go. And he's an ace fan, so it's even better. Even exactly. Be so Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of baseball's best players. Crazy to think he's just 22 years old. In his age 21 season, the Braves superstar narrowly missed becoming the fifth member of the 40-40 club, slugging 41 homers and an NL best 37 stolen bases. Now Acuna finished fifth in MVP voting. And Baseball Reference has him hitting 35 homers and stealing 23 bags this season. The only members of the 40-40 club are Jose, A-Rod, Barry Lamar Bonds, and most recently, Alfonso Soriano. Near misses have been Willie Mays, Bobby Bonds, Vlad Guerrero, Sean Green, Carlos Beltran, Matt Kemp, and there are many, many more. Buying or selling Ronald Acuna Jr. will join the 40-40 club this season. I'm buying. He's got that kind of talent. And if you and if it's a goal you want to do it, that that's when you start taking stolen bases when you know cuz defenses are almost caught off guard at times with stolen cuz no one steals bases anymore, right? Exactly. So if you get if you start if you get out there and you, you and you're going for it, the home run part's not going to be the problem. The problem's going to be can he get 40 bags? Yeah. But I'm buying he could do it. I think so, too. I think this is the year he does it. That Brave seems to be very talented, and I think he's going to have a lot of chances to, to steal some bags, and he knows he's going to hit the home runs. He hit he hit 40. I think I think I had, might have had it backwards. I remember if he hit four, hit 37 and, and sold 40 if it was the other way around, but either way, he fell just short. Now, second well, year – and you got to do it when you're young because yeah. it takes a lot out of your body. I mean, Soriano did it when he was a little older. He was playing for the Nationals, but he wasn't, like, you know, 35 when he did it either. So, second-year manager, uh, second-year Cardinals manager Mike Schilt oversaw Thursday's afternoon 7-7 tie with the Mets at their stadium, and then he hopped on a bus to West Palm Beach, Florida, to face the Nationals for the second half of the Cardinals' split, uh, split squad game on Thursday. In his first full season as manager, Schilt led the Cardinals to a National League Central title and to the NLCS. Then he became the first manager of the year who never played professional baseball. Schilt, 51, started dating his fiance Michelle, about a year ago. In December, he proposed to Michelle. They got married today on a Cardinals off day in spring training. Buying or selling, getting married during spring training. Oh, that's selling right there. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, honey, I love you. Let's go get a steak, and uh, I got a game tomorrow. I got to be there at 730 in the morning. That really says love to me. Yeah, we got the Tigers tomorrow. I love you. So, yeah, go to the spa. Yeah, that, that says love. Marriage. Hey, we, 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 we've got one day off during spring. You want to get married, honey? Like, they couldn't do it before spring training? And have, like, a honeymoon? Uh, apparently, that's what he wanted to do. I, I, what, I, what, what, what's your honeymoon going to be? A night at the Sizzler in Fort Myers, Florida? Wow. <laughs> I, I, was, I told you, the only cities I know in Florida are Boca and Miami. <laughs> in Boca Raton. Yeah. All right, that is going to do it for A's Cast Live from Spring Training. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we got more to come on Monday. We'll be back on from our normal time. Uh, no, we won't be on. We'll, we'll be, be on, on after the game from – is it a night game or no, a day game? No, we'll be on before the game from 3 to 5.20. 
Uh, three from 520, you're going to hear Billy Bean, Mark Kotze, more players. So stay tuned. We'll be on, obviously, for the games the next two days. And then on Monday, we'll be back 3 to, what you say, 530? We're going to have more spring training action. But that's it for Arizona. Thank you so much. And we'll see you back in the Bay Area. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.